shrink from this eye, this all-seeing eye. Hide from these hands, these powerful hands. Run from the horror, the ultimate horror of Frankenstein. Prepare yourself for a new Frankenstein. Searing the screen with excitement. A young Frankenstein, experimenting with the forbidden secret of life itself, molding his most terrifying creation. We're going to make a person. One of the first things we're going to need is the raw material. But fresh, mind you. Nothing more than three days old. Anything I bring you will be so fresh. Get past the government meat inspector. Frankenstein is back to raise the dead, to terrorize the living. Hello and welcome back to Scream Addicts Hammer Pub. I am Jinx, your co-host. I am sitting here with my co-host, Paul Farrell. Paul, how's it going this evening, man? What's uh, what's going on? You uh, Now, can I ask right off the bat, before you even tell me how you're doing, are you drinking this evening? Because i got to tell you, the uh, the end of the last episode... You weren't drinking that much, and I was sick, and hopefully those things have changed over the course of the past week. So how are we looking tonight? Uh, we're looking good. Um, yeah, I uh, I am drinking a, a few things. Uh, I've got a, wow. a small assortment of beer. Jesus, has it been a day? Uh, you, you said, well, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, uh, my wife is on a hiking trip, so I'm, I'm in charge of the kids tonight. So, you know, there's a little bit of a handful. Oh, you're not, uh, you're but... not casually drinking, you're medicating. I'm medicating. It's fine. Uh, my brother was in town this weekend as well. So, you know, there was some drinking that was had uh, over the last few nights. Uh, but yeah, I've got, you know, I've got a left hand. I've got an O'Fallon cherry chocolate uh, beer. I've got a, a melon New Belgium beer. I've got like an assortment of different flavors I'm going to kind of dive into. A Breckenridge Strawberry Sky. So, you know, some chill kind of summery flavors. I'm excited. You do this. You do this all the time when you drink beer. You make beer sound good, but I know better. Well, you know, that's one man's opinion. I know better. I know better, Paul. And hey, speaking of your brother, at some point we need to have Neil on this podcast. Is he a Hammer fan at all? Uh, yeah, yeah. He he would he would totally be game to come on. Um, he's he's probably not as deep into it as as we are, but he's a big horror fan, so I think he would have a cool perspective. And what he's seen of Hammer, he really likes. So. Yeah. What I'm driving at here, at some point, like, we're going to have to have the entire Feral family on Hammer Pub. <laughs> I just one at a time, but everybody's going to I don't know how well my to... dad would do, but <laughs> Neil's probably cool. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, guess what? Speaking of guests, uh, guess what? What's that? We have a guest. Ooh. That's yes. exciting. An actor, singer, dancer, and producer hailing from Toronto with four movies being released this summer alone, including an upcoming film with full moon features called It Knows You're Alone. Let's put our hands together in welcoming Allie Chapel to the show. Okay, there are... so I'm going to clap for myself. <laughs> I was going to say, there are only two it's of us, you know, co-hosting, so, you know, the applause section isn't massive with this show, but it's, uh, but it's earnest. It is. <laughs> also, do you see you're drinking like a chocolate cherry beer? Uh, yeah one of one of the uh, ones in front of me is a cherry chocolate ale uh, from O'Fallon Brewery. Don't and let it fool you though. It's delicious. It's delicious. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, I've tried with beer. I don't think it's going to happen. But Allie, I was wondering, can you tell us a bit about yourself? And uh, are you a Hammer fan? I am a Hammer fan. I feel like I'm not as big as other people are, but I do enjoy a good Hammer horror movie. And a little bit about myself. So I am an actor and performer hailing from Toronto, Ontario, up here in the Canada. And... I recently got into writing, so I'm actually starting to, like, write and film all of my own works, and hopefully they are received well. We film our first one on Wednesday, so I'm very excited. I don't know when this airs, but Wednesday is June 30th. Yeah, we will uh, we'll have this up on Friday. Oh, perfect. But yeah, oh, that's I'm, awesome. I'm just super excited to be, like, just creating again. I feel like during quarantine, one, didn't see anybody, and was like what what happens now what do what do we do do we just do we just stop everything which we did (laughs) (laughs) no it's funny i uh you know coming out of COVID, i remember reading this uh quote once ages ago it was something like um and please correct me if i get this wrong i'm I'm like paraphrasing i'm sure but it was something like uh nobody rests in the spring uh you know the idea that if everyone is cooped up in the winter then the spring that's when everybody wants to be active and do things and you know uh jump in the projects and whatnot and i feel like we had a year full of winter like we've all been cooped up for the longest winter ever and now like i'm just hoping there's going to be a massive creative burst along the line with like everyone oh my god i hope so i feel like that's definitely what's happening and what's coming for sure i hope so now can i ask so you said you're a bit of a hammer fan like what is your favorite hammer horror film and can i ask is it horror frankenstein because out of the various choices i remember uh throwing out at you initially you were super keen on chatting this specific one yes i was super keen to chat about this specific one because i thought it was revenge of frankenstein (laughs) oh my god i bought this 16 millimeter print for my boyfriend i can like like load it up and watch it it'll be so great and then got to his place and he was like you didn't buy me that print (laughs) (laughs) i i definitely yep i did not buy him this one so i was like oh well do you own it and i was i'll borrow it if that's cool That's awesome. So this, so in that case, like we went from this potentially being a Hammer movie that you love to this being a first time watch. Can I ask without too many spoilers as to what your thoughts are on the movie? Like, would you give it a thumbs up, thumbs down? Like overall, how do you feel about it? Oh my God, million thumbs ups. Excellent. So that means um, I'm uh, I'm I'm going to have an ally, an alley potentially, uh, because. Uh, I don't know, Paul. I've I've heard you on other podcasts, sir. And uh, I don't know. I don't know where the slander is coming from. But I, uh, I, I like by this you. movie. <laughs> Jinx is like all or nothing. If you don't like absolutely adore a movie unequivocally, you hate it. And yes. So, but no, I I I really like horror Frankenstein. I'm a, I'm a fan. I think it's cool. I don't think it like all. Well, I mean, we're getting that. That'll be for later. I, I think it, you know, there's some missteps here and there, but I, I think the movie's really fun, and I really like it. Yeah, right. We'll see. <laughs> oh, we'll see. <laughs> we shall see. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Before we get to the horror of Frankenstein, let's go ahead and do what we normally do at this point in the show and talk about our recent horror watches. We can uh, tell you what. Since there are three of us right now, maybe we can choose two apiece. And uh, we'll just we'll just go around the room here, maybe uh, chat what we've seen recently in the world of horror. Allie, you are our guest. What have you seen recently? What would you like to tell listeners out there about? 
Well, I want to tell all the listeners that I feel like shit because all my recent watches have just been straight up comedies. But <laughs> I did watch um bit that uh sort of indie film uh, about vampires and like the transgender teenager in Los Angeles and runs into like those four queer feminist vampires by um what's his name? We're friends. It's a Brett Michael Elmore, is it? Yeah, him. Yeah, he was a he was a guest on the show ages ago, but with a co-host actually hosting. I believe it was Jerry Smith, and I I'm I'm terrible because I have not seen the movie yet, but I've heard so many people say that it's wonderful. It is. It really like it is, and like I guess because they were doing um, an online screening recently that a couple of my friends were hosting, I was like, I should probably watch this movie. And then sure enough, watched it and then gave it a ton of praise and then realized, oh, I actually do know the director and felt like a dick. <laughs> and like, oh my God, I love this director. I hope he like lets me audition for his movies. And he's like, we know each other. <laughs> <laughs> that is very cool. I, I need to see that movie. I'm looking it up right now. It looks like it's available on Tubi. Um, it is on Tubi. So I'm gonna check. Oh my god, I didn't realize uh, the music is by the Wolfmen of Mars too. That's pretty cool. Hmm. That is good. I didn't know that either. I'm gonna check that out. Rock. Well, Paul, have you seen Bit? I have not. It's been on my to watch list for a long time. So this will this will probably be the thing that kicks it over the edge. Um, I'm I'm typing it in my little notes app right now because I that's kind of how I rank what I want to watch next. <laughs> Keep this little running notes app. So I'm, I'm putting it Letterboxd. in. They have like a watch list on Letterboxd. I'm like, got to get this, got to get this. Yeah. <laughs> right. It also helps me keep track of movies I've watched recently. And I'm like, a lot of comedies. <laughs> and then now, also like the new Conjuring movie. Oh, okay. What did you think of it? It was a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, I'm gonna go ahead and clear the room. I'm just gonna put a mat down for you and Paul to fight because Paul actually really liked the movie. I really enjoyed I it too, with, but I'm gonna people. I'm gonna ref and I, I promise I I'll love, be fair. So. I, I I respect all opinions on movies. Uh, no, yeah, I, I I had fun with it, but I also know that like I am I am like very much in the minority. <laughs> It just so, felt like everything they did was for a jump scare, and I'm like, this is like an interesting story. Why not just like tell it instead of you know having stuff pop out all the time sure it was also, it felt, yeah. this one felt very heavy-handed in christianity and i'm like that's cool i guess but i don't know i felt like kind of lost I mean, like i wanted to stay with that family more versus just all of a sudden he's a murderer mm, yeah no i get that yeah I, I don't know i can't really explain why i liked it, it it's more like it, it was more just like a, a uh, fun sort of I, I guess I didn't I don't know I, I I'm not the biggest conjuring verse person to begin with so I think my expectations were pretty like low so I was kind of just if, if it entertained me I was going to be okay it I did that <laughs> but here have been closed for like a year so I'm like any movie at this point I will watch right. <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm pretty forgiving at this point of a lot of things so oh, yeah. <laughs> I also, I'm just real, because I'm looking at my letterbox, I'm like, what have I watched recently that's horror? And I watched Spiral from the Book of Saw. Nice. Oh, there we go. So what I'm did you think of it? 
Okay. I like the idea that, like, Chris Brock really wanted to do a Saw film. That is pretty awesome. (laughs) That he, like, willed that movie into existence. (laughs) Yeah. Now, would you say you are a Saw fan overall? And if so, like, how did Spiral rank for you? Or are you kind of indifferent on the series? Oh, no. Like, at least twice a year, I rewatch all the Saw films in, like, a day. And then have the same argument every single year being like, these films don't connect. Oh, wait, no, no, it all checks out. (laughs) (laughs) The continuity, Paul and I have talked about this at length before, but the continuity with that franchise is just the most impressive thing. It is impressive. It blows my mind. And especially considering, like, that they weren't, you know, it's funny, right before Spiral came out, I was lucky enough to uh, interview Shawnee Smith. And, like, one of the things that she noted, because I brought that up, I was like, you know, it's, did you have any idea when you were doing the first movie, like what your character's arc was going to be, or at least by the second movie, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, you know, as well as those movies work continuity wise, like they had no plan whatsoever. Like, it's just, they were making it up as they went along. (laughs) No, but overall, like Spiral, how does that fit for you then uh, within the, uh, do you, do you foresee yourself like watching that within your typical Saw rewatches? Like, does it, does it hold up for you with the rest? Oh, it's definitely going to get added to the bi-yearly, like, marathon I do. Just because I just think they're so great. I like seeing the, like, creative kills they set up. Again, if we had video, I could show you the reverse bear trap that I made myself out of paper mache. <gasps> wow. That's that's amazing. <laughs> so, Allie, what I'm hearing is that we are creating a saw cast. Uh, we, yes. it's probably going to be like a decade out of date, but it doesn't mean that it's not going to be a worthy endeavor. And it's going to focus on the nine films or the 10 films now, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> every episode will break down 15 minutes of a movie and you'll slowly go through every movie. <laughs> every single movie. <laughs> so, what is it? Is it'll be very a podcast that does that like one heat minute where they, every yeah, episode there, is like there's one a couple yeah. that do that. Yeah. Yeah, we should. You should do that for Saw, man. That's okay. that's your next project. If we did one minute per movie, like that would be a good decade, I think. But I I don't know if that math tracks, but I can't imagine. Content. <laughs> that would be an intense conversation every week. So <laughs> and then he was screaming, and then screaming and he, more. He kept screaming, and then and there, there was, was blood. blood. <laughs> there was a pig. It was crazy. Because I, like, watched all the Saw films, I didn't realize that at some point uh, there was a reality show called Scream Queens where if you won the show, you got to be in a Saw movie. Yeah, it was, um, I want to say, did they have, like, James Gunn as, like, one of the judges? The first season was James Gunn and Shawnee Smith, and then the second season was... I want to say Debbie Rashawn and maybe also James Gunn. I love it too. Uh, because I think the first season, I don't know. I don't know who won the second season, but I believe the actor who won the first season, she was in the opening of, I, I think it was the opening of Saw 6 where she cuts her arm off. I yeah. Think. Her um, versus like the really big guy and they have to cut off parts of their body to like weigh out the scale so that one of them doesn't oh, yeah. die. 
Yeah, I love that scene. It's clever as hell because, you know, Jigsaw is telling him to cut off a pound of flesh and you have a 300 pound guy and then you have like 98 pound her. And yeah, I love that her solution is just like, well, I'll just hack off a limb. Yeah. <laughs> love it. But also that it's stuff like that where you're like, so there's no way for both of them to live. So what, what was the point? Yeah, but, but Jigsaw isn't a murderer. Oh, no. No, he's not a murderer. Oh, no, yeah, a he's not a murderer. He never murdered anybody. He never murdered anybody. <laughs> he has nothing against cops. <laughs> yeah, oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, if you watch Spiral, Spiral is literally like, all cops are bad, they're garbage humans, that's all we're targeting. <laughs> Yeah, I love the, yeah, yeah. When they, that, that, the dinner table sequence, or was it, they were having lunch. Uh, I think it was uh, Chris Rock and, uh, oh, the, I forget the actor's name. Um, I wanted to say Max Landis, but it's not Max Landis. Um, Max, uh, thank God. You know, <laughs> I was going to say, would have been a different movie. Um, but no, at the, Max uh, Mingala? Max Mingala, yes. Thank you very much. Uh, but there is that line where Chris Rock just looks right into the camera and he's like, yeah, Jigsaw never went after cops. And I'm thinking, like, Jigsaw only went after cops. <laughs> like, it's like pretty much yeah. all Jigsaw wanted. That's all he wanted to do was go after cops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Now, I, you know, as soon as we hop off of this recording, I'm going to watch Saw again. It's just going to happen. So, um, But Paul. You won't all of yes. them. Yeah, oh my God. Yeah, it's going to be a long night. You can't night. just watch one. you got to watch them all now. That's true. You know, it's funny. I, uh, when it comes to that franchise, I remember around the time that Jigsaw came out, somebody abandoned around the idea, like, well, when do you think they're going to get around to remaking Saw? And honestly, I can't see anybody ever remaking Saw on its own, because to me, that almost means that they're going to be tying themselves to doing numerous movies after that and retreading. Like, to me, it's only ever going to be reboots. I can't see mm -hmm. a movie going back to that bathroom with Adam and Dr. Gordon ever again, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of hope not anyway. But, <laughs> but now we have the Book of Sauce. There's just going to be more chapters. Exactly. I can't, I can't Well, wait. it's like you just said, like, they, they, instead of remaking it, they're just going to sort of tell new stories in the universe, which I kind of prefer. I'd rather have sort of a centralized continuity that we get to revisit, even if it's only peripheral. Same, same here. I just, just keep the story going. You know, the story never ends. I love it. Yeah. All right. But we're going to save the rest of that for the saw cast <laughs> coming 2022. And we've been uh, talking a lot of saw on this podcast recently. Cause I, I just had it. my whole initial watch. Cause I had never seen them until what, like a month or two ago. That was like yeah. the first time I ever really watched them. And uh, but, tell Allie who had to uh, talk you into it, coerce you rather, well, into watching those movies for the first know, time, Paul, who had to twist your arm, Paul, <laughs> into watching. You, you convinced me. Yeah. I, I didn't realize what that franchise was. I didn't know that it was like a big old soap opera with murdering and traps <laughs> and stuff. I, I, I just thought it was like, because the first movie. Right there, just a soap opera with murder. Yeah, and that's like, great. Like we, that we that would have sold like me years ago. I <laughs> I didn't know that's what it was. But you know, but he got me there and, and I, I very much enjoyed the ride. I will I will definitely revisit that franchise now, now that I've seen it all the way through. And I also really enjoyed Spiral. I thought it was I thought it was fun. Um I think the only big issue I had with Spiral was I just in the million lines of dialogue they had, I just needed someone to be like so this heat wave were happening, right? Because everyone looks so sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> the, 
They were very sweaty. Yeah, they, they were they were going for that like '90s cop movie look, like where everybody was always very sweaty and everything <laughs> like, was. Everybody looked like Ashley Judd in *A Time to Kill*. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was like a it was like a Tony Scott movie without the Tony Scott style, like because everyone's always really sweaty in his movies too. He had to bring up Tony Scott, and now I'm sad. Yeah, I love Tony Scott, but you know that's how we keep him. We keep his memory alive. Keep him alive. Talking about his awesome, awesome movies. He was yeah. a perfect filmmaker. All right, Scott Cast, um, 2023. Tony Scott Cast. I would totally do that. So many. Uh, but anyway, next year. <laughs> <laughs> I would. I would do a Scott Cast for sure. Um, okay, so I guess I should say what I've watched. Uh, I so I too have also watched a lot of comedies lately. Uh, so I don't have much horror to report on. Uh, and then the horror I have watched is for like other podcasts. Um, so I watched like Tenebrae and Knife Plus Heart for Dead Ringers and then uh, Hammer stuff for this. But uh, the things I watched outside of that were mostly like revisits. Um, I watched one of Jinx's favorite movies. I know what you did last summer the other night. Yes. Again, yes. For like the thousandth time. Yeah. Oh my God. That movie is just Perfect. so good it's just Perfection. so good <laughs> like every time i watch it i'm like my misstep. god this movie is it is it is literal perfection um i mean what what is there to say about i know what you did last summer that hasn't already been said but i will say every time i watch it for me like the character arc that just i don't know more so becomes the one that i care the most about is the uh helen shivers plotline, the sarah michelle geller subplot yeah. I just think there's so much like raw emotion to that storyline. Like her and like her demise is like legitimately sad. Like it's very rare in a slasher movie like that, that I get like emotionally engaged. And I think her story really accomplishes that. But um, all of the actors in that movie do a great job. And uh, yeah, it's stylistically, it's really fun. It's very nineties. Um it I like that it's sort of it's kind of in that post scream range, but it, it isn't scream. You know, it doesn't it doesn't try to be scream. It's not it I, I don't feel like I mean obviously it's sort of self-aware and it and it has humor in it, but it doesn't feel as like purposefully funny as Scream does. Where Scream's constantly sort of like winking and not and I love Scream, but like I like that this is sort of a different flavor to that it feels more like a classic slasher than a new wave slasher if that makes sense but yeah yeah totally and that so. was the movie i think where i really i mean scream is a masterpiece scream is amazing like i scream is the best neo slasher i think oh, ever yeah. yeah but i gotta say i think it was i know we did last summer that really made me fall in love with uh, kevin williamson's writing like there was something about, you know, Scream was almost like, I don't know that I, you know, I heard mention of the man in Fangoria, but otherwise Scream is all Wes Craven, right? Like that's a Wes Craven movie through and through. And then you get to, I know what you did last summer and you see a different director tackle that material, but you hear the same voice in all the characters. And then you realize like to me anyway, like 15 year old me, I was like, oh my God, no. Okay. There's like another voice at work here. And this is the guy that made me love scream like, and don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like I, I adore Craven and I think he knocked it out of the park as a director on scream. Thank you very much. Quentin Tarantino, uh, Wes Craven was amazing <laughs> directing that movie, but, um, 
you know, but I know what you did last summer is the movie that really sort of solidified my love for him. And then after that, like I, I would look out for a Kevin Williamson movie anytime one would come out and, you know, the late nineties were lousy with them. Uh, thank goodness. You know, we got yeah. the scream sequels. We got the faculty. We got killing Mrs. Yeah, Tinker. Fa- damn it. Faculty, I think faculty yeah. forever. The faculty is, is, yeah, is a masterwork. A- <laughs> that movie is just so good. <laughs> I, 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 I agree. Where, where was everyone when they saw the faculty first? Let's go around. Like, Allie, when did you first see the faculty? Ooh. So, uh, I was young, so I didn't see it in theaters. Uh, but me and my brother walked to, like, a Blockbuster or Rogers video, whatever we had at that time, and rented it during the summer, and then got a pizza on the way home, and sat in my parents' living room, and just, like, watched it. And I was like, oh, my God. I think I have a thing for Josh Hartnett. Like, whew. <laughs> All right, even with that hair, like yes, please. <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> what? What was like, the man doing to his hair? Stuff out of pens? Like, what is this? <laughs> his, I, I still don't understand what's going on with Josh Hartnett's hair all these years later. Like that and Halloween H two O. It's like, what's, what's, what's going on there, Josh Hartnett? What did, what did you do? What did you do? How did you get famous with that hair? I wish he would go back to that haircut now as a man in his middle age, you know, just see what would happen. If anyone could pull it off. It's he a- could. He rocked that look for like 10 years. <laughs> like. uh, love it. Paul, how about you? Like, did you, did you catch it in theaters back in the day or? No, I would have been, um, what year did that come out? Like 90? I was definitely, yeah, I was or too young 90. to see it in theaters. Um, and I was still a little squeamish at that time about horror because you know my my journey to horror was a long and winding one and i'm like unlike most horror fans i did not get into it until much later in life i didn't grow up watching these movies and uh, i wish i did but i didn't uh so i saw it on vhs at a sleepover (laughs) uh so like yeah right well that's how i saw uh to be honest i think that's how i saw every single well, like all the initial Kevin Williamson films, because I—that's how I saw Scream. Was the buddy had it on VHS, like, and we and he showed us at a sleepover, and then uh, same with I know, and then uh, yeah, that's how I saw the faculty, and I remember like I wasn't super like aware of what the movie was, uh, because again, I wasn't like a horror person at that time, but I remember like it started up, and I was kind of like talking to someone, and almost immediately it like completely gripped me and i suddenly was like man i love this so it was definitely like one of those turning point moments for me in genre movies where i was like oh maybe i do like these kinds of movies that i don't think i like um but most of it was just because i was like afraid of blood and stuff i was like i don't want to see blood on a movie like that's gonna scare me too much and uh, yeah i was kind of a baby even even then uh but you know it, it was cool and it was something that i immediately loved that's awesome i um I'm old, so I saw it in theaters, and I guess that's all I'll say about that. That's so, yeah, fine. <laughs> I loved it. I I caught all of those movies in theaters back in the day, so I'm lucky enough in that regard that I got to see them on the big screen. Yeah, I'm jealous. Time. I wish I had seen that in the theater. I would have been like eight years old when it came out. And... <laughs> no, I uh, they were they were so much fun, but it was kind of it was kind of sad over the course of four years to see that you know, sort of that birth of that new sort of like self-aware, like slasher subgenre, even just, you know, the mixture of 
self-awareness and horror like take off like a rocket with audiences and then over the course of uh you know four years slowly crash because like scream and i know we did last summer and scream too they were all huge and you know mm-hmm. the faculty did okay but then you know by the time you started getting to urban legend and um and i'm not knocking the movie specifically for yeah. that i'm just saying by the time it came out you know so like urban legend and then killing mrs tingle and then um teaching mrs. You know, Oh, it should be killing. Yeah, it was it was originally <laughs> killing. And then they it's made a, him change it. Yeah, then Columbine happened. Yeah. And it's like, I we don't know if we could even release this. Be lucky with the title change and you're still right. getting it. Um and then by the time Scream 3 came out, like obviously it did well, but it was just kind of like, you know, you could tell that people were the mainstream anyway, were kind of over it by that point, you know. But and even really like it felt like horror fandom was kind of over it too, at least to take the temperature and like, you know, message boards back in the day or, you know, reading uh, the Fangoria letters pages, you know, people were kind of done with that. And we were on to J horror and then, you know, eventually remakes, yeah. and then, you know, the torture porn runs. So, uh, which I, you know, I hate that label torture porn, but at the same time, I, nobody has offered an alternative to it. And we all kind of know what movies that label covers. So I guess I begrudgingly use it, but, um, but yeah, so uh, we got to that from I Know What You Did Last Summer. Well done, there we Paul. There we go. All right, that, <laughs> that was the goal. All right, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, Allie, I believe you mentioned two movies up top. Paul, why don't you go ahead and tell me what your second choice is. I'll go ahead and run through mine right after, and we will get to Horror of Frankenstein. Uh, sure. Uh, let's see. Um, gosh, the only other movie I watched that's even remotely horror this isn't even really horror but i guess i'll talk about because it it's genre i checked out six string samurai from 1998 <clears throat> have you ever seen that one i have been chasing this movie for like 20 some years i remember reading about it in fangoria never got the chance to watch it ultimately never did and then i just picked up the 4k from vinegar syndrome but i haven't watched it yet oh, okay yeah, did uh, Ellie? Have you ever seen this one? I have it, and I'm looking it up now because I'm like, well, where can I watch it? It is. It's a wild movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's like a very. Uh, it's an independent film from that time that's sort of like trying to do a lot of stuff. Um, it so it does a bunch of world building. It sort of takes place in a post-apocalyptic world where. Um, it's sort of like post nuclear war Russia sort of like took over the world <laughs> and then like uh, Nevada became its own sort of like oasis and Las Vegas became this big city and Elvis was crowned king. And so music became like sort of the language of the land. And uh, so it kind of has this weird like 50s fusion with a post apocalyptic world and the main character is named Buddy, and he kind of looks like uh, sort of like a Buddy Holly sort of character. And he wanders the, the 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 desert with his guitar, and he's trying to get to Vegas to uh, claim the the seat of king since Elvis has died. And <clears throat> as he goes, you know, he meets like marauders and different things and. There's a little boy, like an orphan boy, he sort of encounters that starts following him and tags along with him. It's incredibly stylized. It's very weird. Um, you know, you can tell the filmmakers are just like really throwing every odd choice they can at it. Like it kind of has some Mad Max vibes. 
Um, but it's a little it's, Buckaroo Bonsai to me. Oh, it's yeah, it's like Mad Max meets Buckaroo Bonsai. Yeah, it, it is very. It's more Buckaroo Bonsai than Mad Max for sure. Um, you wow. know, it's and it's it's sort of experimental, like in its narrative. Like it doesn't really like give you a lot of information. Um, you just kind of have to go with it and, and let it play out. Um, I mean, Vinegar Syndrome, I, I picked up the 4K as well, and Vinegar Syndrome did a phenomenal job with the transfer. The movie looks great. Um, and yeah, it's it's very it's it's very weird. Um, I'm surprised it's not a bigger cult hit, you know, because it's so specific. Um and like a lot of movies from that time that are like this, you know, like it kind of in some ways it also sort of has like a tank girl vibe to it. Um, like there's just a lot of different kind of post-apocalyptic sci-fi movies that are experimental like that kind of mixed into the pot. Uh, but yeah, I, I had fun with it. I, I definitely think if, if if any of those things sound appealing to you as a movie fan, like you should definitely check it out. I'm going to have to. It's on my watch list now. Sweet. <laughs> I'll have to, yeah, I, I need to pop in the 4K at some point. It was one of those movies I remember uh, that was covered in Fango way back in the day, and it was kind of like this great story of a guy with no budget who made this cult hit, and everyone was praising him. And for whatever reason, I, I don't think it was easy to get a hold of, which is why I didn't see it straight away. And then by the time I think I probably might have been able to, his follow-up movie came out which was the fourth crow movie the crow wicked prayer with edward furlong and i i i'm very particular about my crow paul and uh <laughs> that movie that movie stung more than a little and i think that may have put me off watching the guy's debut feature for all of these years but um I don't know. You know, it was also produced by Dimension and Miramax and the Weinsteins, so I can't necessarily fault him entirely for it. And I'm looking forward to finally watching the movie on 4K after over two decades. So, uh, yeah, I'm hoping to watch it this week, and we'll talk about it next. Sweet. Heck yeah. Also, big ups to Vinegar Syndrome for finding these, like, little niche films. Oh, Yeah. That's uh, that's uh, companies like that make me so happy, <laughs> like yeah. just that they they find these things I never would have watched otherwise and then give them like packaging that's better than what like studio movies get. Essentially, mm-hmm. you know, it's like you get nicer releases for these like obscure movies than, you know, the next huge budget Hollywood blockbuster gets. So it's it's pretty awesome for, as a collector and then as a film fan that this stuff is being preserved that way. Yeah, and it's, you know, it is great. They they have become sort of a mark of quality now, too, where you you kind of know what you're getting with them, in a way, like the, the range of movie that they're going to be presenting. And you know that if they've chosen it, they've chosen to curate it in a way that it's probably worth watching, that you're probably going to have a good time with it. Um, yeah. You yeah. know, the fear aside. But, um, you know... I finally did get my uh, my box. I got Six Screen Samurai. I got Olivia. I got uh, that Scanner Cop box set. So that marathon is imminent. Um, nice. Yes, yeah, I can't wait to dive in. But uh, I didn't watch any of those this past week, Paul. Instead, I watched False Positive on Hulu. Have either of you heard of this? Oh, my God. Is it good? I hate that we don't have Hulu in Canada. It's crushing my soul. Well, that's okay, though. <laughs> Because, okay, I would be way more sad that Hulu isn't in Canada for missing out on, like, um, 
You know, I really like the Books of Blood, which came out last year, the Barker adaptation. Uh, I know a lot of fans didn't care for it. I really dug it, you know. Um, You know, Hulu is great to watch uh, shows like uh, What We Do in the Shadows on. Oh, my God. So good. Um, Amazing. That's filmed in Toronto, just saying. Is it, oh my God! I, where is season three already? They're killing me. I know. Oh, uh, Can't wait. This stupid pandemic. I I need more Jackie Daytona in my life. Um, Seriously. Give him give him a spinoff show. Damn it. Um, <laughs> Matthew Barry did in TV shows forever. Agreed. And we should be. Uh, am I wrong about this? I thought I'd heard that a New Zealand produced offshoot of What We Do in the Shadows, the movie. Uh, you know, it's gotten like two or three seasons already in New Zealand is actually due to be ported over here to North America. I thought this summer I'd heard, but maybe not. Yeah. But... Isn't that Wellington Paranormal? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that sounds awesome. <laughs> so, you know, I love that they're kind of quietly creating this massive universe there with, you know, there was What We Do in the Shadows and then there was Wellington Paranormal. Now we have What We Do in the Shadows, the TV show. Hopefully we're getting werewolves at some point. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yes. I heard about that many years ago. Like, is that, did that like get canceled or is that just like still happening? Because I feel like that was a long time ago that that was announced. It was, but then I think uh, Taika Waititi went off and just, you know, started making Marvel movies. So mm. I think he's probably busy. <laughs> um, he's, he's, he's a bit distracted. I, I would rather have Weir, Weirwolves than Thor 8, personally, but... I I want both. I'm the no, guy I love Ragnarok, the but, like, come on. <laughs> give me, uh, I would give rather, me Weirwolves you know, and Love werewolves. and Thunder. Why not? You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I'm no, happy Alex, he's making lots of money. It's, I'm really happy that he's doing well. Yeah, exactly. Nothing against him succeeding in life and upping his career. For sure. For sure. We would all work with Marvel if we could. Just throwing that out there. We would, we would all work. Oh, yeah. Um, no, I... Uh, okay, so false positive. <sighs> the trailer was great. It was. Uh, it, it looked marvelous. It looked like a modern rip on Rosemary's Baby. And I think the movie thinks that it's Rosemary's Baby. It is not Rosemary's Baby. Uh, what it is, I'll tell you what. And I, I was I was telling a friend of mine this. I told her, I was like, you know, the movie is fantastic until it's not. Um, for the first 40 minutes of setup, it's, uh, which I guess I should go ahead and dive a little bit into the plot. Or should I? I don't know. It's uh, tell you what, I'll give you just like uh, the briefest of descriptions. It's about a young couple who, um, you know, uh, are having trouble conceiving. And so they go to a doctor who is uh, played by Pierce Brosnan, who's amazing uh, and is having so much damn fun in the movie. Like he it's almost worth watching the entire movie just to watch uh, James Bond have a blast twirling a mustache, you know, but um he he plays a doctor who's a friend of the husband. You know, they uh, they know each other from like, you know, uh, the university. He used to teach the husband back in the day. So there's that connection. And um, he he actually helps them conceive a child and everything is going well until the mother to be who's played by Alana Glazer, who co-wrote the movie. She is fantastic. And I, I say this genuinely. She is marvelous in the movie. She actually makes the first 40 minutes where, you know, they they take such great care in crafting these three-dimensional characters and putting them into the situation and making you feel for them. But also, 
you know, they, they tug at your heartstrings, but at the same time, they make you laugh. They're so charismatic. They're so fun. It, you love watching them as a couple. And then this sort of genre element introduces itself in a very sly way. Uh, it's like a much, 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 much more toned down version of the uh, sort of hallucinatory dream sequence that um, Rosemary goes through in Rosemary's Baby. But it's enough for her to become a little bit paranoid. And then you, she starts having all these concerns about the pregnancy and, you know, the doctor and the doctor's relationship to her husband. And are they plotting against her? And, you know, she's trying to confide in her friends that all of a sudden she has all these misgivings about having this child in this way. And she wants to seek out another doctor. And it feels like, because we know what movies like this are like, it feels like everybody is gaslighting her. It feels like no one is taking her seriously. Everyone is undercutting her concerns. And all of that is great. And then the movie sort of shifts in a way and decides that all of the goodwill that it's built towards making this a character-driven horror movie about the concerns that the mother-to-be might have and really putting you in her shoes it decides that it wants to be a simple sort of mind fuck of a movie. And so it drops everything that had been doing up until that point in favor of set piece after set piece after set piece of her hallucinating and then thinking that maybe something that's supernatural is going on and then nobody believes her. And then she starts to believe that maybe nothing's going on and she's crazy, but then she sees something else and then she tries to tell her friends and they don't believe her. So then she starts and so on and so on and so on and so on. And it just the movie never kicks out of that gear. And as a result, what started out as this really marvelous character study becomes a complete trudge of a horror movie. And I will say this. I won't run what the movie's deal is exactly because there's a big question mark through it where – it's hitting all of the Rosemary's baby beats throughout. So you have to ask yourself, is this supernatural? Is there a conspiracy? Is this Frankenstein? What the hell is going on here? By the time you get to the point that the movie gives you the answer, and at least it plays fair, and it does give you a definitive answer, but once it does, it's just a shrug of a moment. You're like, that's it? That's really, that's all this has been about? It's just, that's really, that's okay. That's grand. Um, yeah, so it was, uh, it was hugely disappointing to me, not necessarily because I had massive expectations for it, but because the movie started out so wonderfully and the performances are so great and the writing was so sharp that it was really just sort of disheartening to see it ride off the rails and go right to hell. So, so definitively mm-hmm. I brought everybody down. I apologize. No, I'm going to, I'm still going to watch it just because like. <clears throat> My constant background noise in my apartment is Broad City, and I just, I worship Alana Lather. And I also, like, I watched Wonderlust, like, three times in, like, a day and a half, because that movie is just so funny, and Justin Theroux is so good, because he's the, like, husband, right? Yes, yeah, and he is, that's the thing, again, everyone is marvelous in the movie. Mm. The performances are great, it just, it bums me out that the movie lets them down so, so much. Hmm. See so yeah, that was. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah, please I'll still and... check it out. Yeah. yeah, please let me know what you think of it because I would like nothing more for you to watch it and be like, "No, dude, you got it completely wrong. Watch it again." And then you know, maybe I'll watch it again and be like, "I was an idiot. I should have loved it." You know, that's happened before. 
It's happening. Um, it's happening all the time. So uh, yeah, so that was uh, that was false positive. The other movie that I watched was a film called Caveat on Shutter. Have either of you heard of this? I have, and I've heard like it's gotten some pretty decent reviews so far from what I've seen. It's um, you know, I had a bad week for movies. Um. Because, you know, both movies I was looking forward to, and both movies had wonderful setups, and then they kind of left me cold by the end, and Caveat is very much the same. It's got a great setup. Paul, have you seen anything about this? I, I've heard of it. I haven't seen it yet. So a friend recommended it, and I I watched it. It is um, – <laughs> so the movie opens with a gentleman basically getting a job offer. He's kind of down on his luck, and the job offer is – it comes through an old friend who asks him to go out to this isolated cottage and watch over his younger sister who is experiencing, you know, sort of the emotional fallout of having lost her parent. Well, obviously their parent. And uh, she has some emotional issues. She might have some psychological issues. She's not willing to leave the house. So the brother can't handle her as it were he can't watch over her he doesn't want to sort of extricate her from the house so he believes it's all going to sort of um you know she'll get over it eventually and go on with her life he (laughs) he thinks it'll take about a week so he hires a friend of his to go out to this house and basically play caretaker but the thing is is that when he gets there the guy finds out that one this cottage it is isolated because it's on an island cut off from the mainland entirely that's problem number one Problem number two, he finds out that the this young woman is, in fact, underage, and as a result, the brother will not pay him until he puts him on, like, a leash to keep him out of her room because otherwise he wouldn't feel comfortable leaving him there, which is the most bizarre thing. So he winds up anchoring this guy inside of like this thick leather vest that locks in front of it. And it is anchored to a chain, which leads down into a basement and it gives him just enough slack to get into most of the rooms in the house, except her bedroom. And so this guy is effectively like, he can't swim. He's not getting off the Island. He's not even getting out of the house because he's chained inside. And he is told that he is to be there for a week to essentially make sure that she's going to be okay. And then, so that's an interesting setup. And the performances are really great. It's beautifully shot. It's very well made. It's such a creepy setting in a way. Uh, very, in a weird way, it reminded me of Woman in Black. The idea of this uh, this household that's completely cut off from the rest of the world. You know, uh, yeah. So the lone person who is here is truly alone, even though this guy isn't entirely alone. Exactly. Um, but you find out over the course of the movie that there's another reason that this guy is here, of course, one, but two, the events that start occurring inside of the house start leading one to think that maybe something supernatural is afoot. But on top of that, it starts unleashing uh, a number of hidden memories inside of the guy. So as he's dealing with this increasing, uh, what he feels to be this increasing threat inside of the house, it's also sort of waking up different memories inside of him. And we find out that he is somewhat of an amnesiac. He, there is a uh, sort of a blank spot in his memory and his experiences in this house start waking them up a bit. And those two stories dovetail by the end of the movie in an, in an admittedly interesting way. But the entire back half of the movie is just, um, just a bit of a trudge, uh, unfortunately, but I will say like it, it is, it is interesting. It will get you talking by the end of the movie. 
And it does have one of the creepiest, most playful horror sequences I've seen in a very long while, uh, where (laughs) it involves a corpse hanging out in the background of a scene that may or may not be uh, alive, as it were, if that makes sense. Uh, And I don't want to say any more than that because I don't want to spoil it. But whether or not that uh, it's kind of like having a painting in an old gothic horror movie and you don't know if the eyes are moving. Having the corpse in the background and you don't know if it's moving or observing in the darkness. It's just it's wonderfully staged. It's very cool. And I would say that the movie is worth watching for that one sequence alone. But otherwise, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a home run for me. But uh, I, I will say that I liked it more than false positive. So at least there's that. All right. All right. All right. I mean, it's still on the watch list, so I'm like, all right, I'll get down to that. I feel like I, I hate being negative, but that's literally all I watched this past week. So, uh, yeah, I feel bad now. I'm going to shuffle away from these movies. Watch and you, watch, you, know? can't, you can't like them all. Yeah, you know? not everything's a winner. <laughs> <laughs> all right. But I tell you what is a winner. Daniel Epler, Horror of Frankenstein. Horror of <laughs> Frankenstein is a winner. Look, I love Daniel, but I hope he listens. And I, I want him on the show at some point so we can talk about something that we both love at the same time. Because I feel like he and I are always at odds, which is a shame because I love his podcast. I think you're just too hard on people <laughs> who have a slightly different opinion. No, no, no. You had, you had a slightly different opinion. I would say that Daniel actively disliked this movie. Would you not say that that's fair? Yeah, Daniel wasn't a huge fan of this. He's going to say, give me that. Okay. You, you to be fair, point. we doubled it with Curse of Frankenstein, and that's a hard sell. Yeah, like, I think when you when you compare them side by side, if you're looking at it like what it is you liked about Curse, it, it's, it's, not, it's not doing this movie any favors. But this movie isn't trying to be Curse. That's, that's the real, you know, crux of it. But, you know, when you compare the two. I think, and Daniel's just going to side more with that classical side of things. Um, but anyway, and I think that's fair. I digress. And Daniel, I hope you're still listening out Daniel's there. Daniel's got great opinions and an awesome podcast. So I, I <laughs> love Daniel Epler. I love Cobweb <laughs> still. Uh, no, it, it's great. weird. I, I, I feel like there's a, you know, ever since we had him on between Dracula Untold and this, I feel like there's this weird burgeoning uh, antagonism. Well, between Dracula, Untold. No. Dracula Untold. Dracula Untold. Come on. Okay, you know what? Dracula Untold is fantastic. Okay, here we and go. I'll hear, and All I'll right. hear nothing, nothing <laughs> to the contrary. A big word for that. I mean, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just gonna press play on the movie. And I'm Sometimes Dracula's just gotta burst into bats. I mean, that's just Don't the way it goes. I mean, that's, yeah, that's true. Metaphorically, like conversation burst into bats. Leave. Boom. Yeah. I'm just going to sulk for the rest of this conversation. That's what this is going to be. I'm mad now. I'm going to cross my arms. You're going to burst into beds. That's fine. I don't care about that. No. Okay. So, listeners out there, as always, we are going to go ahead and press play on Horror of Frankenstein. Go ahead and queue up whatever media you have in front of you, whether it be the Scream Factory disc like I have, or maybe you have the old DVD. Or maybe... Paul, what weird imported version with a strange slipcover are you running no, this week, sir? Uh, no, I've got I've got the Scream. I've got the Scream, so I'm normal. Ellie, Ellie, <laughs> Just like you? everyone else. <laughs> I... I thought I had it on my phone. I don't own it because I'm not cool. No, I do you have a copy of it? still cool. 
No, and honestly, the way my setup is right now, I actually kind of wish I had the movie available on my phone. It would make it easier to actually podcast while doing the commentary for the movie. I kind of figure that out. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, everyone, let's go ahead and cue it up to the very first frame of the movie. We'll do a countdown and then we'll all press play together. Uh, Now, folks out there, if you are doing the Scream Factory disc, let's go ahead and zip by this uh, very pretty, very colorful Studio Canal logo. We're just going to get by that. It's entrancing, Paul. It is entrancing. It's beautiful. So the first frame, then, is the picture. As it fades yes. In. So if you're doing the Scream Factory, it's going to be about 23 seconds in. The very first frame is just going to fade in on the picture. Okay, everybody out there, let's go ahead and press play in five, four, three, two, one, and play. All right. I do have the uh, subtitles on, so it's telling me that light mystical music is playing. I don't know if that's how I would have described it, but okay. It's a good score. It is. It is for a fact. I do love that right from the opening frames, like this sequence kind of tells you what the movie is going to be like in a way. Like it's, you know, obviously we're 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 in gothic horror, certainly. We're looking at a nude woman, and certainly that's going to come back later throughout the course of the movie. And then you have a character just nonchalantly painting these little, uh, you know, lines on as though to score what his uh, incisions would be. And there's something just completely darkly comic about that that I love. Yeah, it well, and it's kind of what the movie itself is, right? You know, it's it's a hand tracing over someone else's work to make it, you know, something different. Um, I, so I think it's kind of a this movie is very self-referential in a lot of ways, which was, diff, you know, again, a, a deviation for Hammer. And taking into a new sort of generation of movies that were going to be very different from Hammer's previous catalog. Um, So, yeah, I I do think it's a fitting opening that kind of is playful in the way that the movie is going to be playful. That again, that again is going to be really different from the other Frankenstein films. Yeah, very different, but also given to us by one of the same men that gave us Curse of Frankenstein, which I think is kind of neat. True. Yeah, and, you know, it's funny, like, that this was um, his sort of directorial debut, too, because um, from what I could gather, you know, when they initially approached him to kind of write or rewrite the treatment, he was not super into that idea. Um, and he kind of threw it out there that he would do it if they would let him be a producer and a, and the director not really expecting them to agree and then they agreed <laughs> so i think that's kind of an interesting thing because this was like when a, a lot of the sort of key players were leaving hammer right like this was <clears throat> i think heinz had left by then um yeah and apparently and james certainly carreras was on his way out i mean he was still you know, a port, but this was in the process of like, uh, yeah, hands switching from James to Michael. Yeah, absolutely. And Allie, you saw this movie for the first time, I guess, just recently then, right? How did it sort of compare for you against uh, not only the other Frankenstein movies, but all the other Hammer movies you'd seen up until this point? It felt like a less serious Hammer film, which I was really into. Like, I feel like if 
I should actually figure out dates of things, but I feel like Mel Brooks took a lot from this version of Frankenstein than all the other ones. Totally. Like Frankenstein, but I also do not know the dates of when anything was released. <laughs> this was, uh, I think you're absolutely right. I want to say this was, uh, this was either 70 or 71. So this predates young Frankenstein by a few years. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. This was 1970. And then yeah, young Frankenstein would have been a little bit after this. And it's funny. They were, uh, I did a little research. Uh, there are two books that I referenced. Uh, Bruce Hallenbeck has this amazing book called the hammer Frankenstein. And then there's this big hardcover called the hammer story by Marcus Hearn and Alan Barnes. If you're a hammer fan, they're both, uh, sort of indispensable, but I was looking it up, uh, between the two, they noted that development for this movie actually occurred around 1967. And, uh, that was when the hammer apparently put their foot down and stopped Tygon pictures, uh, who's kind of becoming a rival at that point. Uh, Tygon wanted to do a movie called horrors of Frankenstein. And, uh, then only a few years later after hammer put a stop to that, then they started developing this and they titled it horror Frankenstein. And I would like to think it was the kind of spit in Tygon's eye. Uh, but <laughs> it, it, it was all born from an outline, uh, that was simply called Frankenstein. That was written by an actor named Jeremy Burnham. And Paul, like yeah. you noted, Tony Hines by this point was long gone. James Carreras was on his way out. But at this point, like he, it was said that he was kind of desperate for any new ideas, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, by this point, Carreras had already been quoted once as saying that he was going to be abandoning Frankenstein in favor of Dracula. You know, he told, uh, an industry journalist at one point, you know, it's Dracula the kids are interested in. And I'm not sure that the man knew what the kids were actually interested in, but you know, but it is worth noting that after Warner brothers was kind of out of the picture, hammer had a new partner named ABPC that wanted not just Dracula, but they wanted Frankenstein too. So, Carreras got his hands on this treatment by uh, Burnham, and apparently it was – they found it to be lacking. So you're right, Paul. They went to Jimmy Sangster, who at that point in his career was enjoying uh, a stint in American television and as a result had no major interest in returning for another Frankenstein movie. And apparently they had to continually offer him different deals like – they give him the offer to rewrite it. He didn't, he wasn't interested. Okay. They give him the offer to rewrite and produce still not interested. So he threw out the idea that he would rewrite, produce and direct. And, yeah. uh, and you know, so he went with that, you know, this would be his directorial debut. He said he was kind of uh crestfallen to discover that the screenplay or rather the, uh, uh, treatment that he was eventually sent was essentially identical to his own screenplay for curse of Frankenstein all those years later. But, <laughs> <laughs> which I kind of love, but, uh, yeah, yeah. But, uh, no, I guess at that point he moved back to London, he did his rewrites and, uh, he wrote the, he sort of rewrote not only the Burnham version, but of course, you know, his own work as kind of a black comedy, which I think is kind of wonderful. I love that he didn't simply just do the retread that hammer and Carreras probably would have been fine with. I love that he wanted to push it into another arena and do something entirely different with it rather than just, again, doing a carbon copy of his own work. Yeah, no. And I think that, um, well, and, and that's all really interesting, especially in the context of, like you mentioned, like American funding was, was basically gone at this point for really all of the UK uh, cinema, but like hammer, especially. And, and they were starting to realize that their days were numbered. And to your point, they started taking dramatic swings and chances with properties 
and going in really wild directions and really embracing like overt sexuality and violence in a way that, you know, their other movies had never done. Plus, it was in a reaction to the horror genre just changing in general. I mean, Grindhouse Cinema was becoming really the moneymaker in the U.S. Um, all that stuff was really cheaply made, and it was really sort of vulgar in comparison to the classical style. I think this movie is a really interesting example of one that tries to embrace sort of the classical hammer roots while also being you know, more brazen and, and, uh, and it's violence and humor compared to what it was in an attempt to appeal to that sort of young audience. But what you end up getting is sort of a, a slightly higher brow comedic take that has more in common with something like, um, you know, Roman Polanski's, uh, pardon me, your fangs are in my neck, or like you mentioned, <laughs> like young Frankenstein or something that I don't think people, expected out of this movie especially when you consider it went out as a double with scars of dracula which is like a totally different thing um so i could see people maybe watching this at the time and thinking like what is this you know not really like ready or expecting what it what it was no yeah i could see that and i i have to imagine that plays into its uh it's sort of lukewarm reception. You know, it was coming off of a Frankenstein movie that one, it had been a while since Frankenstein movie had come out Two, the previous Frankenstein movie was not well received in its own right. And then three, you're replacing Peter Cushing, the face of the franchise. You're doing like this entirely new thing with it. You're introducing humor. Like it was kind of a bold swing. I don't think, you know, I, I wonder if Hammer and Carreras hadn't expected this to be, a safe bet bringing a Sangster in to just do a riff on, you know, one imagines they probably thought that they were just getting a curse 2.0 and instead they get this, which is kind of much more bold than you would expect out of, uh, <laughs> out of a movie coming from them at this point in their career, because, you know, it's, we've talked about this for the, you know, the past few movies, Paul, but hammer was kind of, they were, they were, they were heading toward the end at this point, you know? Yeah. But, uh, Allie, can I ask, just for the hell of it, out of curiosity, like, when it comes to Frankensteins, like, who do you prefer, Cushing or Ralph Bates, or can we just, can we say that we love them both? I mean, we can say that we love them both, but we do know who the better one is. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm very... almost stuffing my face with, with food, I didn't think... <laughs> Okay, I have to ask, is it popcorn with chopsticks? Because that sounds like the most amazing idea I've ever heard. It is. It keeps my hands from being dirty. And also, that's how I was raised. Like, that's when I was a kid. Learned how to use chopsticks was to pick up individual pieces of popcorn. And now oh, I... That's a good idea. I love this, that. <laughs> this is an idea. If we could just get, like, AMC to start stocking chopsticks on the counter right next to the straws and condiments. I swear, like, just no explanation whatsoever. Just, hey, they're there. Take them if you want them. I think it'll take off. Yeah. It also saves you from taking, like, a whole handful and just shoving it into my mouth all at once. <laughs> I like to pace myself a little bit. I, uh, I miss popcorn. I haven't had popcorn in ages, especially movie theater popcorn. I, uh... I worked in a movie theater for a decade and a half, and I've learned enough about movie theater popcorn to be suitably uh, terrified of it. So, uh, <laughs> I still love it. I still want it every day. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's funny when we, 
Uh, back in the day, the theater that I worked at, so we would cook the popcorn in canola oil in the massive, uh, you know, the vats, the big kettles, and uh, we would put seasoning salt in it, which is like almost concentrated salt. Like it's the most sodium laden thing on the planet. And we would just, you know, throw a couple of capfuls in, which has got to be uh, pretty horrific. And then uh, <laughs> we would have these butter pumps that one press would just be like uh, so much uh, butter. A ridiculous amount of butter. Yeah. We would have customers wanting what was uh, dubbed heavy bags. Uh, Is you it know, like midway through, you put it in, then you put more popcorn, and then more on. Yes, the first time I heard somebody say, "Can you layer it?" And I was like, "I'm sorry, what?" Well, a little bit of popcorn, then butter. A little bit of popcorn, then butter. I I like a little bit of popcorn with my butter. Ha ha ha. <laughs> Right. And I'm thinking, and you know, when we sold large popcorns, like if you got a large popcorn, you got a free refill. I would never understand the people who would come back with an empty bag asking for more, but it happened more often than not. And then so much terrifying, terrifying to me, especially considering, oh God, this is okay. So I think it was around 2003, 2004. I am dating myself here. My goodness, I am getting up there. But <laughs> we were given a nutritional fact sheet once. To show, uh, I think the idea was that we were meant to hang it. Uh, I worked for a chain at the time, and the idea was that we were to hang it up, but none of the theaters wanted to do that because they were certain it would scare away all the customers. So the sort of uh, approach that we took is, hey, you know what? If a customer asks, we'll show them the nutritional fact sheet, but otherwise we're not going to broadcast this. So I did the math. When it comes to like grams of fat and calories and sodium and whatnot, a large bag of popcorn with a moderate amount of butter. We're talking like maybe three tablespoons, which if you know like these butter machines, you know that that's like practically nothing, right? That is the equivalent of eating like four Big Macs. It's insane. Wow, that's and crazy. So, but inevitably we would have people showing up like getting, uh, <laughs> I'm not making this up. This seems like a bit and uh, surely it's one that I've done over the years, but this comes from many, many customers who would do this exact thing. Hi, I'd like a large popcorn. If you could layer the butter, put a lot of salt on top. If I could have some goobers, also maybe throw in some Twizzlers. Let me get some nachos over there. Just throwing all this stuff in, and inevitably, what do you think the final thing they order is? A Diet Coke. A Diet Coke. Diet Coke. Oh, yeah, I'm very familiar with that order. That's hilarious. And I was just... (laughs) And probably the worst thing that we ever did to our customers, uh, I think it was around 2009, 2010, we took out the back butter pumps uh, that the employees themselves would use. And we put in self-serve butter pumps on either end. And I'm telling you both, the amount of times I saw people just stand there for a solid minute, just soaking the bag. It was horrifying. I was like, they they might as well have just used a straw at that point. That's crazy. So anyway, Allie, all of that to say, I applaud your innovation. And the next time that I do have popcorn, it's going to be a while, but the next time I do, I am taking some chops, chopsticks and I am, I am going to give that a shot. So it's a great idea. <laughs> all right. Now we should probably talk about the movie here. <laughs> Maybe um, just a little. I mean, I guess. <laughs> now we have on screen here, Ralph Bates, who I got to say, I, I've talked about him on this podcast before. I think Bates is just marvelous. I, you know, he played Lord Courtney and Taste the Blood of Dracula before this. He would uh, be in a couple of Hammer movies after this. I believe Lust for a Vampire and Dr. Uh, Jekyll and Sister Hyde. 
Um, it, it's forever a shame to me after having learned this, that this is a guy who was groomed to be essentially Cushing's replacement in a way. Like he was, he was going to be Mr. Hammer, you know, he was going to be Dracula. He was going to be Frankenstein and that just never quite worked out. But, and I will say out of all the movies that he was in, I think this is definitely the showcase for him. I think he's marvelous in this movie. He, oh, he's great. I, yeah, he, I, I, I just, I love the acidic humor and how sly he is. I love that he, uh, he, somebody had a very good point. They noted that he played Frankenstein as more of a Lord Byron type in this film. And I think that's right. You know, he's very, he lacks a conscience entirely. Uh, he has this casual indifference to humanity. And, uh, but with Sangster's rewriting in this one thing that he has that, you know, Cushing didn't, you know, he has a boosted libido in this movie, which I think is, you know, yeah. gives a different dimension to the character. That's, in this setting, and given that it's a black comedy, it makes it all the more weirdly enjoyable, I think. I agree. It totally does. Especially when he starts hooking up with, uh, what's her name? Alice? Is that it? Yes. Yeah. Who Who's also that? hooked up with his dad? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a, little, <laughs> uh, that's a little Billy Bob Thornton Heath Ledger for Monster's Ball for me. Um, that's a, yeah. A little creepy. Um <laughs> But no, I, uh, yeah, she is great. And she is actually played by Kate O'Mara, who's a marvelous actor. She would go on after this to play the villainous Time Lord, the Ronnie, in the 1980s run of Doctor Who. Um, I'm probably going to get this wrong. I think she played against maybe the fifth, sixth, and seventh Doctors. I just, I think it's bizarre that that character is yet to be brought into new who, but that's the doctor who fan and me nerding out right now. So I'm going to go ahead and back away with my hands up on that right now. <laughs> um, but no, I, I love her in it. I think she is perfectly matched again, probably more so than any other actor in this movie. I think Kate O'Mara and uh, Ralph Bates are sort of perfectly on the same wavelength. Cause yeah, they have a lot more chemistry than Ralph Bates and uh, Veronica Carlson. Yeah, and I, I love Veronica Carlson. I'm oh, not talking Veronica Carlson. She's, oh I, yeah, I, she's fantastic. I love her, but would you say that I'm wrong in thinking that Veronica Carlson showed up to be in every other Hammer movie she had been in up until that point, and not this weirdly darkly comic Hammer film that only Ralph Bates and Kate Amara seem to be in on the joke for? You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it felt like she wasn't in on the joke. Well, yeah, the, she right, and I think that's one of the things about this movie that's odd is that the tone. It, it feels like some of the actors aren't committing to the the sort of like darkly comic wit undertone that's sort of running beneath the surface of this film. She's trying to play it like that kind of like wilting flower character you might see in an early Dracula movie or something that has a little bit less agency and is a little less interesting of a character. And it's it's all the more glaring when compared to what some like what Kate O'Mara is doing, where she's really, really embracing kind of that over the top scheming usurper role. And she's got all kinds of like great attitude and, and performance flourish that's like making her stuff so much more entertaining that it becomes really distracting when, you know, Veronica Carlson's on screen and just not there emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, although I would say, you know, to be fair to Veronica Carlson, I think the same is true of 
a lot of the other actors in the movie. Like, I think, you know, obviously the grave robber and his wife, like they're definitely mm-hmm. kind of on the joke. I think Wilhelm here, Wilhelm Kastner is, I, I, I think he's, I don't think it's fair to say that he isn't in on the joke. I think he is very smartly playing the straight man in this very comic sort of situation. Yeah. But what's weird is, is that the movie, I mean, there's almost a passing of the baton there where he's the straight man until the story takes him out. And then that baton is almost kind of passed to Veronica Carlson for better or worse, you know, but um, I, I do think it is interesting that Kastner is essentially, you know, he's the audience in a way he's Paul Krimp in this movie, but instead of being a father figure, he's more of a kind of a brother. Would you say? Yeah. School friend. You know, I, I do like the school stuff. We kind of, skip past it um but i do like sort of seeing him interact like as a student like as kind of like a you know you could see him being like kind of like a shitty frat guy kind of person like smart enough and charismatic enough to sort of get away with the stuff that he gets away with um there's that scene with the like the dean of the school where he's like oh you'll marry my daughter and he's kind of like no i won't screw you and he's like yeah he just kind of walks out pregnant yeah, he's like, ah, <laughs> fuck that. See ya. And <clears throat> you you get a sense right away of like not not just you know the Vict- this isn't Peter Cushing's Victor Frankenstein. You know, like right away they tell you, okay, this is a very different person. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's sort of one of the most dangerous brands of sociopath, right? Like, because he's he's very handsome. He's he's glib. He's brilliant. Um, and he he's not going to kowtow to anybody at all for any reason he's just going to do what he wants to do and he knows he can get away with it um and i thought that was all done really well and that that sort of ties back into like you mentioned earlier his his libido uh that is sort of absent in most every other frankenstein film with maybe the exception of the through line in the first film where he's also sleeping with his uh housekeeper Yeah. And it, again, you know, not to not to talk too much about Bates, but I will note here, I thought it was kind of interesting in doing a bit of reading for this. It was noted that um, apparently Sangster did not want Bates for the role. He didn't mm. think that he was right for the role. And, uh, you know, he had discovered that Bates was going to be kind of pushed on him in the production because Carreras was grooming him again to take over the sorts of roles that Cushing had played in his heyday. And uh, according to Sangster, it wasn't because they were planning on parting ways with Cushing, but because, uh, you know, Cushing by that point was getting to the age where he wasn't necessarily going to be able to carry out the sort of sex symbol image that Hammer was trying to sell by that point, you know, in the company's mm-hmm. history. But uh, after Sangster met Bates, he was apparently immediately impressed by the man and had no qualms with him being cast at that point. I mean, he does play the role, like, very well. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's fantastic. I I really do think I think like the the primary reason this movie like works at all uh, is because of him. Like because of Bates' performance, how he sort of anchors every scene. Um and it, he makes it all believable. Like he he makes some of the ludicrous things that he does and his lack of uh you know any sort of empathy towards any other human 
uh, work because he's just so charismatic and you're able to sort of go on the journey with him and believe that other people might get sucked into that journey. And, and earlier you kind of mentioned, you know, how, um, you know, how, how his, his friend sort of plays off as a foil to him. I think that that also, I don't know. I think that that's a, another important element. I think he needs sort of a, a more boring, straightforward straight man, especially in the first like act to kind of establish what kind of person he is and to show that he, he also wants someone around to acknowledge his greatness. <laughs> you know, like he, he, he not only wants to do these things, he wants someone to be there to witness it and know he's great and tell him he's great. Yeah. Like, he it, needs validation for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Because, you know, you get the feeling that, yeah, obviously the relationship that Frankenstein has with his father in this film is markedly different than the relationship, presumably, that, you know, young Victor had with his father in Curse of Frankenstein. And one imagines that played a part in exactly how he was brought up and, you know, the man we see here as opposed to the man that Cushing played. But, I, you know, going back to Wilhelm, I, I, I think you're right. Like what I love about what they do with that character is that they set him up as being the conscience of the audience. You know, Kastner's there to say like, Victor, dear Lord, no choke. You know, like he's, he's the guy to be us to comment on, you know, the fact that Victor is playing God and that, you know, that's a terrible thing and blah, blah, blah. And what's so wonderful about that. And what this movie does time and time again is that sort of subverts our expectations as to what, you know, because we we expect Wilhelm to make it to the end credits, like mm-hmm. much like Crimp did in the original movie. Like it's a genuine shock when Victor kills him. You know, only what halfway through, or maybe not even halfway through. And you know, I I, I think Sangster had a lot of fun with taking those big, uh, you know, stakes, those big tent poles that held up Curse, and sort of you know plucking them away, and you know putting something entirely different in their place, you know, to, again, subvert expectations. We, we have the crimp character. We have the friend, we have the, uh, the voice of the audience taken out early. We have, um, you know, you mentioned Alice, uh, Allie earlier, like, you know, in curse, that relationship is different, especially once Elizabeth is kind of on hand, you know, when it comes to this movie, the maid is the one who's kind of in a relationship of sorts, you know, with Victor while, Elizabeth is the interloper in her way. And then Paul, you know, I listened to the Dead Ringers episode, you know, when everyone was talking about uh, the ending of the film. I thought it was a very good point that you all made that, you know, the ending of this movie, when the creature is dispatched, that is kind of Victor's salvation. It saves him, uh, that little girl unwittingly destroying his creature. Whereas in the original movie, the fact that the creature is destroyed, that's what damns Victor. And that's, again, that's such a neat little twist. Yeah, I, I do think it's a it's a more clever spin on this on the original than it, it sometimes gets credit for because some of those some of those little nuances are, are very, very subtle. Um and I know subtle isn't a word that you would usually use to describe this movie. Uh, <laughs> but I do think I do think that its story beats and how it kind of twists those um it, it is is very carefully done. Um, you know, from that perspective, from the writer's perspective. You know, it does, it just kind of bums me out a little bit that this movie isn't quite, you know, and people can certainly dislike it if they want, that's fine. But 
you know, not only does it bum me out that this movie is considered to be kind of lesser hammer in a way when I absolutely adore it, one, but two, it kind of bums me out that even Sangster wasn't like in love with the finished product. He was, uh, he was quoted as saying eventually that, um, and again, quote, happy or not, I am forced to admit that I didn't make a very good movie. I meant it to be lighthearted. It was so lighthearted, its feet never touched the ground. Ralph said he thought the movie fell slightly between two stalls and it didn't go far enough with the comedy. And I don't think it went far enough with the gothic horror. And to me, I watch this movie and I find the balance to be pitch perfect. I think it is very sly. I think it is funny. I, I love that it can marry sly humor and just be constantly amusing in that sort of... Uh, very deft way, but then also, you know, then it does the grindhouse thing from time to time, you know, then it is crass, then it is bloody, then it is gory, then it does, you know, then it does have a severed arm, you know, give the, uh, the old sort of middle fingers or, you know, I, I love that that it, I do love that. Yeah. I mean it. So to me, the fact that it can take all those sort of disparate elements Horror comedy, it's been said, is very hard to do anyway. Sangster did horror comedy, but then he did two different types of comedy altogether, and he fused it all together into this cocktail that I think is actually pretty damn fantastic. And it just kind of bums me out that he he didn't appreciate his own work when I think, you know, the man walked sort of a razor wire, you know? Yeah, I... Uh... I think I think like a lot of great movies, it was just ahead of its time, too. You know, I think that there weren't a lot. I mean, horror comedy is always this weird thing that it has to hit the zeitgeist sort of at the right moment, or it has to be discovered later when the moment catches up to it. Um, it's It feels sort of rare that a big, well, one, it's rare that a big horror comedy gets made. Two, when they do get made, it feels rare that it manages to connect <clears throat> right then and there, you know, um, rather than becoming like a cult movie, which basically just means a really good movie that it took a long time for people to catch up to, <laughs> you know, like a really fun movie that we just we just weren't up on in the moment. And and again, like when you watch trailers for this movie and you think that it was sent out with Scars of Dracula, like they weren't broadcasting that this thing was funny. You know, they were treating it like a new version of Frankenstein. Like, oh, this is a this is the new scary Frankenstein movie for, you know, a new generation. Um, and I think if you went into the movie in 1970 expecting that and you got what this is especially American audiences probably would have been a little bit turned off. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. And I I guess, uh, Allie, can I ask then, you know, uh, sort of piggybacking on what Paul said, did you have any sort of expectations as to what this movie was going to be? Did you know that it was kind of a dark comedy going into it or did it sort of take you aback a little? I didn't. I thought it was going to be played very straight the same way, you know, like all the other Frankenstein films have been. So going into it being like, this is kind of funny. Am I allowed to laugh? Because this is humorous. <laughs> and realizing that like, oh, it's straight up meant to be like a dark comedy. And it just, I think that's why I kind of like it more than other Frankenstein films, because I love a good horror comedy. And this hits it so well, especially for it being the 70s and it being a Hammer film. And yeah, like it feels like it was truly before its time. Yeah. I just, oh, I love it. I love how Ralph Bates plays it. Also, like, 
Veronica Carlson's hair when it's all braided and up in that weird <laughs> do, I'm like here for. The hair is amazing. <laughs> totally agree. Like I, <laughs> I love Veronica like, Carlson. Like, best, like that white and pink striped one. I'm like, ooh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I want to believe that no tortoises were harmed in the making of this movie, but I can't say that that's the case. I'm not I sure. I believe that as well. Because it feels like he just picked him up and then put him on a table, and the tortoise is just like, okay, this is where I am now. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think I'm going to choose to believe that as well. <laughs> I mean, I, did they have an empty shell? Was there a stunt shell when, uh, when Kastner, when Wilhelm just sort of shoves the electrodes on either end? Because otherwise that turtle was having a bad day. Yeah, otherwise that girl died. <laughs> probably a that shell. I don't think they would have killed a turtle. <laughs> I don't know, man. I could see Carreras coming in with his added pages. Oh, Carreras, like, Carreras would have killed a turtle. That's we're a good killing point. a turtle today, people. <laughs> Get Peter Cushing in here. He's not even in the movie, but I want to watch him cry while this turtle dies because I'm Jim Carreras. That's what I do. What? Like, I would straight up cry if they did that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would. Yeah, that would definitely damage the film for me. I, I do think it's funny though. Like, <laughs> yeah, like I don't, I don't want to think of this movie in the same vein as Cannibal Holocaust, please and thanks. Uh, but what? like, <laughs> it, it is kind of funny though. Like, like you know, the self seriousness of Victor Frankenstein. Like, if you look at Curse. When he's, you know, playing with resurrecting, was it a dog? It's like a puppy, right? In the yeah. 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 So, so to compare that to a turtle, like that's kind of funny in a way, like because it's such an odd thing, you know what I mean? Like, it, like a turtle is an odd thing for this, you know, big evil scientist guy to be experimenting on. Like, I'm going to resurrect a turtle. turtle. Like, I think that's part of the weird humor this movie employs that, like, I could totally see people just not really getting that that's even supposed to be kind of funny. Um, so, I, I, but I, but it's something that I really love. Like, the idea that, that Frankenstein is spending time, like, trying to resurrect a, a turtle is very funny to me. <laughs> um, Allie, can I just, Paul, that's a very good point, but I just need to rewind for both of you here for a second mm -hmm. for two entirely different reasons. Allie, this it. is totally our show. This is, uh, this is, we digress here like crazy. If you haven't been able to tell at this point by, you know, by the time we were talking about popcorn at length, you should probably know what the deal is with this show. But did I hear you do a little Dana Carvey when you said turtle in the background just a minute ago? Am I wrong about yeah, that? I can't help it. Turtle. I'm in it. I'm in that generation where I'm like, am I turtly enough for your master of disguise? <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Which Love also, it. like, if you're going to revisit, oof, don't revisit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, it's not, it's not great. I, <laughs> I love me some Dana Carvey, but I yeah, think. that one, that one's one not to, not to dive too deep There's into. Some stuff where you're like, ooh, maybe, maybe don't do those impressions. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> like, I know, okay, obviously it was, you know, back when it was culturally accepted to do other ethnicities as a joke, but now watching it being like, oh no. Yeah. But also just, the Jennifer Esposito one being amazing, but then also being in that movie. I love and miss <laughs> Jennifer Esposito. I, I think the first thing I ever saw her in was Dracula 2000, which is a deeply underrated, fun it's movie. A great movie. I have it on VHS. I watch it all the time. It's so good. Did you see the sequels? Because those are surprisingly good too. There were there were there were sequels. 
Okay, the, so crazy thing. The guy who made Dracula 2000 did two straight-to-DVD sequels called Dracula 2 and then I think Dracula 3 The Ascension? And what's the crazy Ascension. is, is uh, that... Yeah, yeah, Dracula is essentially a Time Lord who the way they got around not being able to cast Gerard Butler in the follow-ups is they basically say that every time... Yeah, but it's cool because... In the second movie, he's like a thin blonde dude, but you're told that basically he regenerates. And then in the third movie, the second regeneration essentially ages over God knows how many years and becomes Rucker Hauer. Oh. And it's the same oh, director. That. And they are so much fun. What's and crazy is... Oh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. no I, was, I was just going to agree that they are shockingly good. Like... Yes. For direct-to-video sequels, like, because I totally was, I'm a huge Dracula 2000 fan. Yeah, I was like, I was, I was so skeptical of those movies. And I think, Jinx, I think you were the one who told me to watch them. And so I picked up, like, a Blu-ray two-pack or something. And, like, the second one was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Super good. Well, what's crazy is the screenplay, you know, the Weinstein's gonna Weinstein. Uh, they bought a screenplay for dracula whatever the hell uh, i'm sure it wasn't called dracula 2000 they retitled it dracula 2000 they had it rewritten so heavily that by the time patrick lucier made the movie and they decided to do the sequels they were able to just take the original screenplay and shoot it as is as the sequel that's how different mm -hmm. it was like between the original script and the rewriting and then the third one they kind of went off and did their own thing, but yeah, yeah, Ali. If you seriously, if you like Dracula 2000, I'm telling you, those two sequels are really, really good. Oh, I mm -hmm. do love Dracula 2000. I was so stoked when that movie came out because I was like, What they put vitamin C in a movie? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they should put vitamin C in way more movies, yeah. <clears throat> she and she's got nothing, what a, what, yeah, seriously. She has that one song. <laughs> Oh, God, yeah, and I'll never, like, Johnny Lee Miller, I'll never understand why that guy was never an A-lister. Between Hackers and that and, you know... Oh, uh, this is uh, really a perfect movie. <laughs> train spotting. Like, how many different oh. quadrants did that guy have to hit before people saw, like, okay, this guy can do anything. Let's go ahead and just make him a star. Let's put him in a major movie. And it never, it just never quite happened. It, and I will say... It's Hollywood that failed him. And not yeah, the other way around. Can, can I say, okay, to be, to be, okay, I'm going to admit something here. Don't hold this against me, uh, either the two of you or listeners out there. I was a little bit of a snob toward Johnny Lee Miller when um, Danny Boyle's Frankenstein stage play came out. And I don't know if you remember this, but uh, it played, I forget where it played exactly. I don't think it was Broadway, but uh, I think it was in the UK. But Danny Boyle staged a version of Nick Deere's Frankenstein, which, by the way, is maybe the greatest adaptation that Frankenstein has ever had in any medium. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, and I'm just talking about the, the written script. Like, the play itself is incredible. Uh, Danny Boyle's version of it, amazing. But they did something really interesting. Um, with the creature and Frankenstein, they would alternate roles so that Benedict Cumberbatch would play, say, Victor one night and Johnny Lee Miller would play the creature the other night. And then the following night, Johnny Lee Miller would be Victor and Cumberbatch would be, uh, you know, the creature. Mm. And I watched both versions when I think Boyle said that he never wanted it to be released on any sort of physical media. But nevertheless, they did put it in theaters as like a fathom event. And I got to see them that way. And I I watched both versions and I got to admit going into it, I kind of had this 
kind of a little bit of snobbery on my part, admittedly, where I was like, oh, I just kind of wish that Benedict Cumberbatch could play both versions at once. You know, that would probably be better, right? Son of a bitch. Johnny Lee Miller acted Benedict Cumberbatch off the stage in both versions. He was fucking incredible. So I, uh, my hat's off to you, Mr. Miller, wherever you are out there. I was wrong. And I apologize. He's a big time listener, so he'll appreciate it. You know him. Like, this is all he listens to. Yeah. He's, he's a hammer pub for life. You know, we, we joke about that, Paul, from time to time, but I do wonder sometimes, like just once if we could get like an email from somebody be like, actually, I do listen, and I'm hurt. But he I just has <laughs> It'll happen. Set up for whenever his name gets mentioned, and he's like, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna put. His It'll name happen, and it will be a complaint. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna put his name in the show notes, and I'm just gonna see what happens. We'll see. Yep. Do it. Go for it. Oh, but speaking of Frankenstein, we've got this movie. Um, <laughs> speaking of Frankenstein, speaking we're watching one. <laughs> no, I, you know, going back to Sangster for two seconds, there was one other little anecdote I sort of prized away that made me a little sad where he, again, you know, he's kind of down on the movie. He didn't think it was that great. Um, he noted at one point that he thought that one of the major issues with the movie was the fact that he had nobody to keep him in check. You know, he was, he was the writer, the producer and the director. The closest thing as he put it, uh, you can be on set to being God and nobody was around to tell him you can't do this or so that does Frankensteining this movie. Exactly. Exactly. He was, he was the mad doctor here and you know, there was no crimp to keep him in place. Or in this case, there was no James Carreras to come in. And uh, apparently Carreras didn't even watch the dailies. He never visited L Street. No. Yeah, he, At this point, he apparently just didn't even give a damn. He was, he like, was checked out. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but here's the thing is. Okay, so you've both seen this movie. I think we're all kind of in agreement that it's a better movie than it gets credit for. Can you imagine somebody coming in? And trying to sort of sand down the rough edges of this movie and making it better. Because to me, like, you can't make a safe version of this particular film and have it work any better than it already does. I think you would make it infinitely worse if you tried to do that. Oh, yeah. yeah. I completely agree. Yeah, I, th- I think the reason it works as well as it does is for the very reason that, San- you know, that Sangster said that he thought he did a bad job you know i think this movie works because it's an unfettered vision that's not filtered through the lens of a producer um it's it's what he intended to make um and i think that you know sangster was a guy you know in interviews and stuff that you could tell he was swayed very easily by public opinion um so i wonder if his reaction to the film had more to do with just the fact that it wasn't incredibly well received to begin with. So he just sort of took on a self-effacing attitude towards it. Um, But, you know, I I think the movie would, would not be as good as it is had there been, you know, studio influence from Hammer's perspective. And the same can be said of about a lot of their seventies fare, which was also sort of left to their own devices. And then later sort of complained about, you know, like I think about captain Kronos where they're kind of like, okay, we're going to give you, uh, you know, control over this product. And then at the end, oh, I don't like this. This is bad. Why didn't you do a better job? Um, and then we're going to give it a shitty release. You know, th- this movie got a good, well, a decent release. Maybe not the same release as some of the other Frankenstein movies. But 
I don't know that the studio was behind it as much as they probably should have been and presented the right perspective towards what the movie actually was. You know, again, when you watch the trailers, you can't really, I don't think you can really tell that this is a comedy per se. Yeah. Not from the trailers, no. And and that's all that anybody would have had to go on, you know? And 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 then, if again, if you watch Scars of Dracula first and then this, it's going to put you in the completely wrong mindset. Because Scars is a movie that's, like, trying to be a horror movie. It's got weird comedy in it. You know, it's got that weird, like, Benny Hill opening with the Burgermeister, um, <laughs> which I'll never understand in that movie. But, like... Yakety sacks, and then the guy chasing his naked daughter yeah, around the like, castle? What the, what the hell, hell is going on? And then, like, <laughs> that leads into, like, a slow <laughs> building, like, stuck in Dracula's Manor movie. Like, the, and that stuff never comes back and is never really important again, and that character dies. Like, it's can just... I, it's such a bizarre impetus for where that movie goes. Can I just say that I absolutely adore frankenstein basically crafting a creature by numbers here mm-hmm. that is my mm-hmm. favorite thing it's him like <laughs> drawing lines and being like this hand is number one and it will go here and like if you're gonna play god that's how you do it yeah i, I watched this movie with my daughter and it made her like it was like one of the first times where she really connected the dots around. I'm a bad parent. I show my kids horror movies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I should probably, I should probably just say that up front. Or, um, or you're the best parent. Listeners of this show. Yeah. Listeners of the show already know this. Um, but yeah, we watched this together and she was like, it, it was really easy for her to understand what Frankenstein was doing more so than like in the first movie because she watched the double with me when i prepared for dead ringers so she watched curse and then she watched this and we watched them back to back and she actually kind of liked this one more yes. for similar similarly because of the humor and uh and again because of like she liked the paint by numbers thing she's like oh that's that's she's like that's clever it's <laughs> like yeah Love it. yeah so that was funny <laughs> yeah watching this because i was with like Chris when we did this and I kept being like there's some weird continuity he wrote the wrong numbers on there he wrote four on this one but it's really like 13 and like I can't believe they didn't catch it and he's like you're (laughs) thinking about the wrong things when you're watching this (laughs) (laughs) where was the script supervisor like where was this where was the budget on this (laughs) I do love the acid tank I love the setup here oh it's so good (laughs) Well, and it's a great plot device for later, you know, yeah. like it's it's such a it's a cool thing to begin with. And then it, it serves it's a multi-purpose item in the movie. I was going to say, yeah, it, 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 they they get some mileage out of that tank in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I love it. Um, I the giant heart on the chest that he drew of this Frankenstein creature. That's Wait. because yeah. the the final ingredient is love. Yeah, <laughs> I do love that. Yeah, it looks like a traditional like Valentine's Day heart, as opposed to anything like remotely anatomically correct. It's his whole chest, and I'm like, didn't you go to medical school? <laughs> well, he wasn't really paying attention. He was sleeping with all of his, you know, students. Yeah. Yeah, he was getting the dean's daughter pregnant. You know, <laughs> I want to see a Frankenstein movie where that's the case. And he spends the entire movie, like, getting all the parts together. And then, you know, when he tries to reanimate the creature, nothing happens because he has no idea what in the hell he's doing. 
he just sewed a bunch of body parts together like it didn't really yeah that would be kind of funny it would be good but that would work as like a really funny short yes. like if somebody did like a yeah like a 10 to 12 minute short about like a frankenstein short kind of like a la yeah. frankenweenie or something like only have it's the, like a frankenstein that's just completely inept have the wilhelm or the yeah. <laughs> I didn't know, I was reading a lot of horror comedy stuff because like I recently discovered that I think that's my niche is like doing horror comedy sketch shows. Oh wow. That's amazing. I so I'm a huge horror comedy fan, so I can't wait to see everything you make then. <laughs> it will be out I don't know when because I don't do that, okay. but <laughs> Well, I will be, uh, I'll be first in line. Yeah, horror comedy is one of my favorite things in the world, so that's awesome. There needs to be more of it. Also, I just really love sketch comedy shows, so mm-hmm. I'm really into the idea of combining both of those things and just making, like, yeah. like two to four minute long segments that are just horror but comedy and, like... Yeah. If I always he... loved, that was something I, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, Paul, actually, I was just going to say one thing about you quickly. I was going to say if Paul ever, and not that it needs to be, but I just love the concept that Paul was ever keen on it. Uh, Paul did a short film once that I think has one of the coolest concepts for something like that, like a sketch comedy slash horror bit. Paul, please tell them about the slasher closet idea. Yes. Tell us. Oh, are you talking about Hawaii party massacre? <laughs> Maybe. I already love it. <laughs> But it's the slasher uh, movie that takes place entirely. Well, please. Yeah. Yeah. The idea is like it's a um, (laughs) so it's this guy like the the short opens with a guy like running into this big walk in closet and he like slams it really quick and he's out of breath and he's wearing like a a Hawaiian shirt and uh, he pulls out like he's freaking out and he pulls out his phone and he calls uh, his sister who obviously has a, uh, they have like sort of a, a barbarous relationship with one another. And he's like freaking out. And he's like, oh my God. He's like, he's like, I'm at Josh's party. And like, this, so basically the idea is that he was at this party and it turned into a slasher. Um, and his sister, and he's also like this guy who's sort of like uh, somewhat flamboyant and often craving attention. And she doesn't really believe him. Uh, and so like, he's trying to convince her and uh, you know get help and and she's also like well why wouldn't you call the police and so and meanwhile you hear stuff in the background like you can hear sort of the events of the slasher movie occurring um and then he's telling like really over the top stories about it and he just it and then like slowly but surely like he's making more noise and calling attention to himself you know that that will eventually bring the uh, the killer to him um, and it's just this really silly thing and, and, and they get into sort of the drama of their friend group. Like, she's like, well, I didn't know Josh was having a party and like stuff like that <laughs> is occurring. And like, they, they start like bickering back and forth and, and she's like a Hawaii, party. what's a Hawaii party? He's like, well, he likes the aesthetic, you know, <laughs> like, talk, uh, they're, they're getting into like, well, like what is a Hawaii party? And like, and, uh, and slowly but surely it, it amounts to, you know, like this, uh, climactic ending where the door sort of like opens and he kind of looks up and you know you sort of know what's there but you never really see anything um and then like you're the the sort of final shot is like the girl getting a tech like because the phone cuts off but she gets like a text from him that's like you know if something like i'm gonna haunt you or something like that like fuck you like a middle finger emoji or something and like the 
getting the idea that he was probably he's going to be killed or something. But it, it was just a really fun sort of like trapped in a closet while a slasher movie's happening. You know, you can make it on a really low budget. Uh, and a lot of it's just more on the skill of the actors involved. But uh, it, it came together. It, we did like one with my friends and family and it was pretty funny. But yeah, I seriously, I want that to be a feature. I want to see a feature length <laughs> version. I want to see a slasher movie told from the point of view of the guy who hides in the closet the entire 90 minutes. Yeah, he's the I have I have a brother in law who's like a pretty funny actor. And um, he we've done a couple projects together. We We did a movie called Ghost Ghost where it's like. And after the events of like an exorcism where there was like a haunting and they got rid like basically like a Warren esque, like people come in to get rid of the ghost. Um, and then there's this sort of con man that swoops in after uh, after like the Warrens hit save you. And it's kind of like, oh, but I have to get rid of the thing that's left when a ghost dies, like the ghost ghost. And he basically <laughs> has to like, re- like exercise the house of nothing. Like there isn't anything there, but he's like doing all these elaborate things and you know and anyway so that was another thing that we did that was pretty fun and there's always like one straight man character that just like gets that there's nothing there but nobody else sees it you know he's kind of like this guy's not doing anything and like everybody else is like no no he's 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 honing in on the entity that's here that's that's with us and so there's there's some fun stuff but anyway sorry love it (laughs) Uh, we did just miss a quick moment of Kensington Gore here. I love the red paint and blood that he just casually wipes over his oh, face. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, that stuff no is awesome. And, like, the aggressively fake hand that he hooks. <laughs> and you, we, what, we, we have a laboratory. on the drawing? Look at, like, the weird, like, claws on the Frankenstein drawing. Yeah, it's a little... He's not an artist. He's a doctor. <laughs> True. It, Although Jim. the rest of it looks pretty accurate, <laughs> <laughs> except for the heart. I uh, love it. I did. Either of you have either of you run across the uh, publicity photos that were shot with Peter Cushing and Ralph Bates together? Uh, apparently, Cushing came down to set one day, and photos were, you know, shot to basically kind. I love that. I love. <laughs> The numbers on the head as though he's seeing him as just a mark here. I, I adore like that. Especially the little, what's weird is, is that as funny as Bates is in this movie and as funny as that sequence is, there's something kind of chilling about Bates in that moment where you get the tiny little glints of light in his eyes as he's just, you know, sort of dead eyed staring at a guy that he knows he's going to be offing soon so he can get his brain. You know, that's very creepy, yeah. but very mm-hmm. cool. Uh, but anyway, I'm sorry, back to the picture. Uh, have either of you seen that picture where it's uh, Bates and Cushing together and it was meant to be sort of a, uh, you know, for the public sort of seeing the old Frankenstein pass the baton to the new Frankenstein, as it were? I have not. It is a lot of fun. There are a couple. There are a couple where they both look kind of serious and then there are a couple where, you know, they're both laughing together. Uh, there's one even with uh, Veronica Carlson uh, together with them. And curiously, she's sort of, hugging peter cushing i think and not ralph bates but uh you know i i I guess that was like this stunt that was created and the impression that it left was that you know one would have assumed that cushing was done with the franchise and now frankenstein was going to be ralph bates and that was that but apparently according to bates in an interview that was never entirely the plan according to him um you know the older actor would have continued playing the role of 
Victor Frankenstein as an older man, and then Bates would have carried on playing the younger version of him. And, mm. uh, of course, as he noted, that wound up happening anyway. You know, just uh, Bates didn't get a chance to do any sequels, and we got one more movie with Cushing after this. But I, I thought that was kind of interesting because I'd always assumed that it was a foregone conclusion that, you know, Peter Cushing would have been done by this point. I, <clears throat> yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, you're right. Like, I've read that they sort of suggested that both things were going to continue. But I, I have to believe that when Bates was cast and they were making this movie, given Cushing's age and sort of him being a little less interested in continuing the franchise at that point, um, that he probably assumed that he was done. You know, even if they said, oh, well, we might do more. Um, but I think, like, Terrence Fisher coming back after his injuries and wanting to do a final one probably was why Cushing was more keen on doing it. Um, which I'm glad they did, because that's such a great sort of capper. Yeah. And the only other thing I wanted to mention really quickly, just to hop back to that number on the forehead thing, it's that's so always reminded me of uh, Frighteners. Ha! <laughs> Yes, oh, you know absolutely. what I like. I know, I know. It's like a weird pull, but it like that just it give me like huge frighteners vibes. <laughs> I'm a big frighteners fan. No, hundred percent. Now that you say that, I have to imagine that Peter Jackson is a horror Frankenstein fan. Yeah, well, yeah, and again, that's another movie that's like horror comedy, and kind of that weird balance. Um, but anyway, yeah, love it, love it. I love it. Yeah, Bates is such a you know what's weird about this movie and what I absolutely adore about it. You know, when you look at the previous Frankenstein movies, we always have an anchor that you know, for the audience to sort of grip onto, you know, to be our hero. Mm-hmm. Um even in Curse, you know, Victor Frankenstein isn't you know, he might even be the guy that we spend the most time with, but Krimp is our hero of sorts, you know? And I think that's true of most of the movies, even the ones where Cushing comes closest to being a hero, like Evil of Frankenstein or Created Woman, you know, we, we still have other characters that are sort of meant to lead us emotionally through the movie, you know, uh, regardless of, you know, Frankenstein being in it or not. What I think is interesting about this movie is that Victor is 100% our hero in this movie. Like, he's he's our lead, you know, but he's such a bastard but at the same time he's so (laughs) likable that it's not hard to follow him through the events of this movie at all i don't think yeah yeah he's Mm -hmm. well he's charismatic and that charisma you know makes it easy to watch him even when he's doing sort of despicable things um, I don't know that I ever like am rooting for him or that I particularly no, like no. him. No, but you but I'm fine. Yeah, right. But I'm fine with sort of like hanging out with him <laughs> and yeah. watching the chaos unfold. Like my weird comparison with this is that like the vibes I get from this movie is kind of the same vibes I got from like the social network where like, yeah, Mark's are <laughs> shit, but you kind of want to yeah. see what he does. <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's actually a really good comparison. That is incredible. You're right. Mark Zuckerberg is essentially Baron Frankenstein in his own way for the there modern day. Yeah. yeah. And you're he like, did he did create this, a monster. This, so yeah, you're like this guy's monster. this guy's an asshole, but I will watch him for a couple hours. <laughs> you know what I think? Ali, I think that's such a good point too because, you know, I don't think I considered it before, but now that you've drawn that parallel to the social network, I think part of the reason it might, Paul, I agree, like charisma certainly has something to do with it. But I think, you know, 
when we consider Jesse Eisenberg's performance in The Social Network and then look at what Ralph Bates is doing here, I think we can't help but grasp onto a character who is the smartest guy in the room. Whether or mm-hmm. not he's a good person or not doesn't really matter when he is – yeah, he might be a smug bastard. He might be evil, but damn it, like he he is easily the most clever person in the film. And like he knows it and he's yeah. just like, sub. <laughs> Yeah, his his confidence is grounded in something that we can all recognize, you mm-hmm. know, as being true. <clears throat> so there's there's authenticity to it that that sometimes, you know, asshole characters lack. <laughs> and don't we all want to aspire to be that character in a way? Don't we all want to be the smartest person in the room, even if, you know, we, we wouldn't want to be a, a terrible person necessarily, but hey, we all want yeah, <laughs> but, we, but we all, you know, we all want to be the most quick witted. We want to be the most clever. We want to be the smartest, you know, person in the room, you know, and, you know, maybe maybe that would be the sacrifice is if you're going to be that person. Then that also means that, you know, you're going to be a little cold. You're going to be a little alien. You're going to maybe, uh, you know, be a little sociopathic, as it were, you know, and it's certainly the case with Frankenstein and I think probably Mark Zuckerberg, too. Yeah, like I feel like they both might have a touch of Asperger's or something. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, well, I, yeah, and I think I think to your point, what it all boils down to is we we all want to feel confident. You know, we all want to feel like we can be in any social situation and sort of command the situation in a way that makes us look good and sound good and come across in a positive way or socially positive uh, in terms of how we're perceived. So I think that's, that's sort of a universal quality. And yeah, I, I like the idea of dissecting like who he really is and, and what, what's at the root of who he is. Um, and so much of it is left to our imaginations. Um, you know, we, we get a sense of his family sort of with his like crappy father um, and unlike and like you said, like unlike the first movie where his parents just sort of die off screen, you know, this movie, he actually like kills his dad. Um, and that isn't a big deal to him. <laughs> you know, like that isn't something that he carries with him forever. He does it and he moves on. Well, there's something kind of. uh You know, there's something a little Oedipal happening there, right? Because he. Mm-hmm kills his dad and then he takes his father's wife for his own. Now she's not his mother in this case. No, but I mean, still there's still there's a little, his dad's partner. Yeah. Yeah. So it's little, little something Oedipal happening there, I think, which kind of works for the character. I think, you know, it makes sense. Well, and I think that's part of the attraction for him mm-hmm. is that it, that she was his father's like he took it. She, he took this, you know, that he, cause he sees her as like an object, right. That he owns. He doesn't see her as a person. And so I think that 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 was sort of part of why he wants her um, and and why he wants to sort of keep her. Yeah. I do love all I'm saying uh, is I would watch something called Frankenstein Rex. Um, For that matter, Paul, you mentioned Cannibal Holocaust earlier. Now I just want a movie called Frankenstein (laughs) Holocaust. So. Oh my I, God. W- I would watch the idea. hell out of Frankenstein Holocaust. Are you kidding me? <laughs> that no, sounds like the best no. title ever. <laughs> I don't even know what the story is, but damn it, I'm going to start working on something called that. So, <laughs> I want to see Frankenstein operating in the post-apocalypse. <laughs> like, 
Yeah, what, if what's he, his life like after the end of the world? Well, <laughs> is he still doing his shit. He, he, he could had be like king have, now. <laughs> he had to have gotten to the point where he was able to operate on himself to keep himself going. You know, physician, heal thyself. Well, you know? I mean, this series does that. Like, that's a thing in the Cushing series. After the second movie, he can change around his body and put his brain into other things and all that kind of stuff. He can capture the soul <laughs> after created woman. Well, you know, it's funny that with Revenge of Frankenstein, we get that plot point where you're right with the right assistant, like Frankenstein can transplant his brain into another body. It just so happens that that other body looks exactly like fucking Peter Cushing. Um, I wonder if there was so ever a Peter Cushing's out there. <laughs> Sorry. There was only well, one. How's even Peter Cushing's? <laughs> this. Peter Cushing's are a dime a dozen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're lousy with Peter Cushing. I love it. I love it. Well, we are well, now. Well, now with, we can just uh, CGI him into movies, right? Like we all saw Rogue One. Deep fake. Yeah, you can just you can just digitally create him, and he can sell you know Pepsi now, <laughs> or whatever uh, they want to do with him. I'm, I'm I would Felix. buy Pepsi if Peter Cushing was the spokesperson. I too, I too would be down for some Pepsi. Was, I need him to be like for those who think young. What What's like the worst product you would buy if Peter Cushing was selling it? <laughs> Air duct cleaning. Okay, that's good. Um, MAGA flags. That wow, man, Ooh. you beat no. me. I wouldn't. Uh, no, I couldn't do that. I'm no, sorry. I, was gonna say, I feel like I'd be like, Peter, oh, could... Peter. Yeah, I'd be so disappointed. Like, just you know? so bummed out. Like, I, want, I just want I, to I, live I in like to... ignorance when I it comes to, to some celebrities. I'd sells oranges on the side of the freeway. Like, <laughs> Okay, I want to, Paul, Paul, I want to make this. I would pull over here. and buy think... oranges from Peter Cushing. Absolutely. Right? I think Peter Cushing's <laughs> innate decency means that he would never be MAGA. To so, be honest, he would never if, be I would I would pull over and buy oranges from just a guy who looked like Peter Cushing. Like I'd be like, man, you look so yeah, much like Peter Cushing. I want to buy some oranges. <laughs> Can I get a picture? <laughs> Let me snap a selfie really quick for my Insta. <laughs> you know, even though I am kind of morally opposed to them resurrecting him for Rogue One to play Grand Moff Tarkin again, I'm not going to lie. I would be completely cool with seeing like a digitally recreated Christopher Lee as Dracula for one last time, one last scene one last in a hammer film. A hint. Yeah. Just to, just to transform into somebody else, just so we see, you know, it should have happened. What if they, still, okay. Would you be okay if they did that and they re-edited uh, legend of the seven golden vampires with a digital Lee as Dracula and it? Would you be okay with that? I feel like I should say no, but if I'm being honest, yes. I'd please. be curious. Give, <laughs> I'd be super me. curious. I would see this movie, but I feel like I would have more of an incentive to see it. Oh, it's oh, you should check it out. It's it's, it's so super good. fun. You know, I watch this for like a bit. It's a like a kung fu vampire gothic horror movie. Like it is such a weird yeah. amalgam of things. Literally, um, but yeah, it's the Shaw brothers. Like, it was well, yeah, quite literally, yeah, and and you get Cushing as Van Helsing. So well, not against that, there you go. I mean, that makes it worth watching all on its own. 
No, it's really fun. But uh, but uh, there's Dracula in it, and it's not played by Lee. And that's that's one of the problems with the movie. Who plays Dracula in it then? John Forbes Robertson, I believe his name is. Who almost played him in Scars of Dracula when they didn't think Lee was going to come back. So, yeah, and he's not. Here's the thing: he's not bad at all. It's just no. If he's that's way too much one. makeup, though. Yeah, oh like, goodness. Yeah, it's weird makeup. Like they, I don't know. It's like they they put like a ton of blush on him. He's got like a lot of color, which is weird because Dracula should be pale. Um, I digress, but <laughs> it's what we do here, Paul. It's what we do. Let's uh, talk about the I makeup say, of Dracula. <laughs> you know, we were talking Star Wars a second ago. We have David Prowse here playing the monster. Uh, six, seven, I believe he was 35 years old here. Seven years from this point, he would be donning the Darth Vader costume for the first Star Wars, uh, which I think is amazing. I, a lot of people think that he's a little too underdone as a creature, like not scarred up enough, but I think he's completely striking in this movie. I, I oh, yeah. love the yeah. makeup on his face. I mean, I agree with the whole, like, he, in theory, should have more scars, considering he is patchwork together with other body parts. Right. But I also get what they're doing, so, like, I'm not mad about him not having that many scars. I love the weird lines drawn on him, where it's not like they didn't just slap, you know, uh, uh, putty on him and make, like, these built-up scars. I love that they're kind of angry and red-looking, like... Yeah. You know, he's yeah. just come out of surgery. It's healed. Yeah, I think I think as a as a movie monster, it, I like the subtlety of the makeup. You know, I think like as a thing I have to stare at and and watch and that's going to represent the monster in this movie. I, I like that it's more stylized rather than like realistic. Yeah, I feel like if you go realistic with it, then you're just like, oh, how is he even staying together? <laughs> right, right. It would just be this weird mishmash. He just mish so skin and it's all decayed. Right. Like, it would just be kind of gross, um, which is fine, but it not wouldn't really work here. I also like their sort of like meet cute that happens with him and Frankenstein, where he's like, how do you do? I'm Victor Frankenstein. And he like yeah. shakes his hand, like reaches out to shake its hand, like... Versus the the sort of otherworldly awe that Cushing dons when he meets his monster. You know, like, th there's more of a pragmatic approach to uh, this version of Frankenstein's sort of interactions with the monster um, that I think fit the movie better. I'm just, I'm struck by that scene that we saw over and over and over again in Happy Death Day when a tree keeps waking up and her... Boyfriend the bee like turns around and how many times do we hear that line? Oh, hey, you're up. And to me, that was totally like the nonchalant Ralph Bates approach to Frankenstein's monster in this movie. It's just kind of like, mm -hmm. oh, hey, how do you do? How's it I going? do love that you uh, tied this to Happy Death Day. That makes me very happy. We deserve a third, Paul. We deserve a third film. Where's our we third film? Third. We need to complete the trilogy. It is. It has to happen. Blumhouse, I, I would, I would pay trilogies. an, ungod, an, an ungodly it. amount to a Kickstarter for that movie. Like, I would pay a lot of money to a Kickstarter if they did one. You know what? That, I, like, I like Blumhouse. I like Blumhouse. But I'm getting annoyed where they have these franchises. They'll put out the first entry. The first entries kill. And then the second entries they'll release at a completely different point in the year. The second entries fail. And then they're like, well, I guess we're done. Cough, cough, sinister, cough, cough, happy death day. Yeah. Although, like, is 
Blumhouse doing the new Halloween movies? They are, yeah. and they actually kept yeah. Halloween Kills at Halloween, uh, which is, you know. Which is smart. And they already shot Halloween Ends. Yeah, because they believe. shot, like, Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends back-to-back, because that was, like, yeah. a before-the-pandemic thing. Right. We should yeah, both have and seen Halloween Kills, and we should be expecting Halloween We should be, like, getting ready for Halloween Ends. Yeah, I yep. wish they had... I mean, I know this is, like, it's controversial, I guess, with, like, what should go into VOD and what should, should be seen in the theater, but I wish they had just put Halloween Kills on VOD. Agreed. Like, I, I would have paid $50 I mean, like, for like it. I being in the theater, but, like, I don't want to now watch this one and then have to wait another year for the next one. I just want to see them all now. Exactly. Yeah, and I think they hurt their momentum personally. I, yes. I think that it, did. it definitely like, hurt their momentum. Yeah, like especially with non horror fans, because Halloween twenty eighteen like breached outside of just horror fans, like the Jamie Lee Curtis of it all, and like it became this sort of like cultural phenomenon kind of movie, which is awesome. But I don't know. I mean, last year you still had that excitement. I think now it's diminished pretty significantly, and I don't know that you're gonna get the same turnout for it um I will especially them... post-pandemic but I, i'm gonna go see it of course but i'm, I'm wondering if it's going to be as as much of a, a, a wide-reaching release as the original was could you imagine if well no they've already done the third one i was going to say could you imagine if the second one tanks and then they're like well i guess we're not doing a third we're not going to tie it up after all it's like god come on you know my hope is that after halloween ends they make a sequel to season of the witch that's what I want them to do. That's that well, is my dream. But what would the sequel be? Because that movie is like, okay, we're now out of business because all the children died. I don't know, yeah, but I God, want God. someone to tackle it. I, it's a great question, and 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 luckily I don't have to write it. I just want to see it. I just want <laughs> someone else to do it. <laughs> You know, it's the weird, though, it's that's the exact same sort of world building that you would have to do that they would never do. Because you know what? No J-horror viral terror movie has ever gone to its natural conclusion. You think about The Ring. Well, you think about uh, The Grudge. At yeah. a certain point, those they are viral hauntings that would eventually just take over the world. But they yeah. never get to that point. A At the sequel... end of the American. Okay. Oh, sorry. No, no I was just going to say, at the end of, uh, well, no, like, when you get to Ring Zero, uh, before they cut back to the uh, the origin story of Sadako, um, there's this great sequence in the opening where they're, like, Japanese teenagers passing around the video on their cell phones. And it's like, ooh, what's going to happen there? And the series is like, we don't know. You know, I, <laughs> hell if we know. And that's the same thing with The Grudge, you know, uh, the second American Grudge film, which is now... I think it's been retconned into the same continuity as the original Japanese movies, which admittedly I kind of love. But when you get to the end of the second American Grudge film, at the end of it, there is this hint that it's never going to stop. Like it, that grudge is eventually just going to pass from person to person to person, and it's going to be a virus, and it's going to eventually cover the globe, and then it's just going to it, – it's a world ender of sorts. They did the same thing with uh, you know, the last American Rings movie that they did, uh, the F. Javier Gutierrez movie. Uh, it ends with – the I guess the American equivalent of Sadako Samara essentially passing the video digitally to all of these different people. Like the ending is like this. The implications are kind of terrifying, but that's the thing. They never go beyond that point because yeah. it's, it's like nobody wants to do that amount of world building. I feel like 
I feel like that's kind of season of the witches problem. Like that, that's a definitive ending. And like, where the hell could you even go after that? You know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm like, you well, they would see it, but they would, they would probably retcon it and say like, Oh, it was stopped somehow. You know what I mean? Like they would be like, Oh no, something like something happened and it only showed to this town and all the kids in this town died. And now it's like an urban legend and, you know, and blah, 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 blah. But, um, but no, I just mean like, I would love to see them do the thing that Carpenter sort of wanted to do, which is like turn it into a bit of a anthology series. I think that would be kind of a cool direction to take it in. If supposedly Halloween kills is supposed to sort of conclude uh, the Jamie Lee Curtis storyline I've heard or Halloween ends. I mean, sorry, Uh, might conclude more than that. Um, It'll be, I, I've heard a rumor here and there that, like, it, it'll be very curious to see what that franchise looks like beyond then. And turning it into well, that's an what I, mean, is like, I think would be ideal. Well, because so. they're not, here's the reality. They're not going to stop making Halloween movies. No. <laughs> like, no, no matter what Halloween Ends does, like, it, it's not the last Halloween just like we haven't seen the last Jason, even though that's tied up in some Paul, we, we might have shit. No, it's <laughs> somehow some way that that'll get made. We will see more Jason. The only franchise that might end up dying on the vine is Freddie because it's so tied to the actor. Um, it, it is. And honestly, like I don't have anything against the remake that they did with what's his, butt, Earl, uh, Jack, Earl Haley, Jack, Earl Haley. It's just he's not Robert England. Mm-hmm. It didn't have the same vibe. It didn't have that same like quick witted kind of horror comedy esque thing that he had going on. Right. So unless they bring him back, I just don't see it going somewhere new and refreshing, especially with you know Wes Craven not also being around anymore. Right. Yeah. 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 That, I don't know. That how... franchise is so specific. It's very specific. Yeah. Right. You'd be like making so much, a phantasm but... film. Like you just can't do it. Yeah, oh yeah. Phantoms yeah. is yeah, that's another one that like it's done. It's over. It's you know, we're not gonna see another one. And and that's the way it should be. Um, but like Halloween, Jason, those movies are sort of they, they can be eternal, um, depending on how they're approached and, and how they're sort of yeah, made. But I, I am I am liking having him you know the halloween movie sort of back in the zeitgeist and having a company like really trying to make good stuff with it that's that's been fun it's got a lot of stuff that i'm really into like uh david gordon green's involved and Mm -hmm. this will be nothing to anybody else i mean except for people who like the original but who also watch real housewives of beverly hills but kyle richard is coming (laughs) back Lindsay, and i'm like ooh, yes (laughs) (laughs) stuff because i watched that trash <laughs> no that Amazing. is fantastic i i love that um that she's you know there it seems like they're trying to bring back as many people as possible like charles cyphers and kyle richards and um um oh i'm a terrible person i can't remember her name even though i've met her but nurse whittington uh is going to be uh back in the movie too so it seems like and apparently there was they the should have cast paul rudd as tommy doyle that's all I'm saying. Oh my god, that, they really should. They should have done that, and I feel like they I did. feel like they could have. I feel they, like they could have. As I understand it, from what I heard, they did because he has that connection to like David Gordon Green and um, 
Oh, the co-writer, Danny McBride. Um, Danny McBride, who I truly, I'm like, you're my, between him and Jason Manzoukas, I'm like, you're both my future husbands. Please <laughs> <laughs> write all of the horror for me. <laughs> More horror from comedy people, please. It's always yeah. amazing. But yeah, the, the rumor was is that Paul Rudd was going to play Tommy Doyle again, obviously in a different continuity, but it he was going to do it, and then the Ghostbusters thing came up, and so... You know, he did Ghostbusters, and who can blame him, really, in a way? But at the same time, I can blame him. <laughs> what are you doing, Paul Rudd? I can hold this against Paul Rudd, even though he is eternally youthful and perfect. But I will, I will say this: you look at that kid from Halloween, and you tell me what is that kid going to look like in forty years? To me, he's going to look a hell of a lot more like Anthony Michael Hall does in that trailer than he does Paul Rudd. Yeah, Paul I, Rudd, he, he hasn't aged. He's No, Paul Rudd's a vampire or some other mystical creature. That... Oh, he, he he bathes in children's blood, Paul. Let's let's be clear. More than likely. Yeah, I don't know. He's, he spends a lot of time in the quantum realm, so, you know, that <laughs> just keeps him protected. It's really good for the skin. Yeah. That's why he has to do comedy, because of all the evil things he does. Yeah, stay. yeah, yeah. Comedians, by and large, seem to be pretty dark in real life. Like they're, it's you know, the, I seriously go to any horror convention and tell me, by and large, the people at horror conventions that you meet aren't far more well adjusted than any comedian you've ever met. Like I'm talking like stand up. Like, and I only know this from my own personal experience because I knew a lot of stand up comedians in college, and uh, they they were all just funny as hell on stage and just angry, angry people in real life. I get that. <laughs> Comedy is hard. Comedy is really hard. <laughs> Especially stand up like that. Yeah. I, I couldn't imagine I could telling jokes that I wrote to an audience and I'm just not laughing at me being like, cool, I'm going to go kill myself. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I spent three months working on this material and uh, none of you like it. So if you'll excuse me, I'm going to drown myself. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. yeah. That's my nightmare. Tweak the Jeb Bush thing. Just be like, please laugh. <laughs> no, I, uh, so we just saw Bates. We just saw David Prowse sharing a scene together. I love that Bates is kind of training, uh, his monster here. Not unlike, uh, you know, Brad Pitt training his dog in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you know, um, making him sit down and behave before he feeds him. That's awful, but that's, that's how he's treating his creature here. And, uh, I don't know. I see these two guys back to back, and I want to see them do a version of putting on the Ritz. I think oh, they could have done it. Yeah, I can't shake that now that you made that connection because it's super accurate. Um, like the the young Frankenstein vibes are strong in this, and I gotta believe that. Yeah, I, yeah. You have to that Mel Brooks saw this and was like, "This could be a full fucking comedy." Yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like, like the, he, he saw this and he was like, oh, I see what I could tweak to really make this something special. You could ask him and he'd be like, no, I was calling back to like all of the universal films of my youth. And it's like, you're a fucking liar. You're a liar, Mel Brooks. <laughs> you're <laughs> brilliant. And I love lying. you. But... <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mel Brooks. Alec, well, we you know, ask. OK, so you, you like. 
Oh, sorry. No, no, you you go. I think I know where you're going. I think I was going to go in the same direction, but you go first. Okay, yeah, because I just listened to last week's podcast a little bit here and there, Mm -hmm. but I was going to ask, Allie, Mm -hmm. you're a fan of Young Frankenstein, I take it, a little bit? Yes. Okay, so this is... uh, this is going to determine uh, uh, whether you can be friends with Paul and I. So this is important. Um, how how do you feel about Dracula Dead and Loving It? It is the perfect comedy about Dracula. Like, I grew up watching that movie on, oh like, on repeat. And then I proceeded to buy it on VHS and then on DVD and I made all my friends watch it and I was like how do you guys not love Leslie Nielsen he's so funny okay you passed you want to co-host Allie, this every week Allie, <laughs> you you what you just said the words that just came out of your mouth have solidified that you are one of my favorite people on the planet <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's too it's too perfect and like the scene um what's his butt Stephen Weber is just like hammering the stake into his chest and just getting and Mel Brooks like steps off to the side (laughs) I love when comedy will stay on a moment for like uncomfortably too long and you're like this isn't funny but it's funny because it's kind of too long and David Wayne does that a lot but like that whole scene is just it's so great (laughs) Renfield eating the bug that entire sequence Peter McNichol it was a raspberry it was a raisin it was a raisin (laughs) Or even at the end when you can still see his leg twitching a bunch of dust and he just picks up the dust and draws a little happy face. Yes, yes. <laughs> when he's like, yeah. <laughs> he draws a little happy face and Dracula's dust. Ranfield, you asshole. <laughs> oh my god. That movie I to your point, I, my brother and I watched that movie, like we rented, we didn't own it, so we had to rent it from the local video store and we rented it weekly for like two years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that tape was just at our house until we could finally afford to buy it ourselves. And it is, it is a perfect movie. It is one of the funniest movies ever made. Uh, it is, it's a brilliant send up of dr- the movie Dracula. Like if you watch those two movies back to back, which I highly it's suggest is a double scene. feature. Like yes, right. It is. It's crazy how, how accurately he lampoons that movie. And it's, Oh my God, everything about it's it. so good. It's pure genius, and it's yes. just so good. And, and, like, I grew up with, like, every time I would try to do something that my mom was doing, but I would fail at it because I was a child, she'd always be like, Allie, I fly, you don't. And I'm like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Dracula doesn't, well, this is great. This is, this is really great. Okay, so happy that that's where this episode has landed is that we all agree that Dracula Ten Loving It's amazing and everyone should love it. that Leslie Nielsen is hilarious. Leslie Nielsen's so good. So good. Have you ever seen Wrongfully Accused? Ooh, no. Oh, you need to check it out. It's so good. It's his fugitive parody. Oh, uh, that, but have you seen Repossessed? Yes. Oh, I love yes. Repossessed. <laughs> Excuse me there, miss. Could you could you could you just pull your dress down, please? Could you oh no? You know. <laughs> Love it. I uh what was oh my god, what is the ending? His uh oh his the the Damien Karras uh equivalent. Uh the is it Peter Stark, but uh <laughs> what is the line? He's like, Well, we tried everything to defeat Satan. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Wait a second, we haven't tried rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, where's that re-release? Where's Vinegar Syndrome putting out a 4K of that? I mean, that is a movie that I deserves like reappraisal. More like Scream Factory. Like that seems like it'd be their wheel. Yeah, yeah, good point. Also, I would love to see. Where the screen. fuck is the re-release? Yeah, exactly. Right? It's it's we, time. We need a Scream Factory Leslie Nielsen box set of horror parodies. Oh, I would pay so much money for that. I would pay a lot of money. Yeah, I would. I would. But yeah, Dracula Done Loving It is is still only on DVD. It's not on Blue. No, I which drives me crazy. On Blue. <sighs> Man, I love. I, that... I will say, I, I'm sorry, Paul. Go. No, no, you, you're good. No, I was just saying. I I'm so glad now that. We are finally getting great editions this year of Blood for Dracula and um, Flesh for Frankenstein because I'm very curious to see what horror Twitter as a whole makes of those movies because I think it's just going to be – I love those movies, but it's just going to be a massacre online seeing people <laughs> go back and well, forth. Twitter is always a massacre. Like, true, 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 true. That, that's in its very nature. <laughs> yeah, like that's what it does. <laughs> So it's de- like, it's designed to destroy. Like, no, you're wrong, and here's why. And you're yeah. like, not at all. I just wanted to tell you I liked it. <laughs> I'm just uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna hop on Twitter like the week that that uh, Blood for Dracula blew. Like when I get it, I'm just gonna hop on long enough to like snap a picture of it and say I fucking love this movie. And then I'm just going to not hop on for another week. Just gonna ignore all of my notifications. Just uh, just see what happens. Well, yeah. Half the people watch it without considering context. <laughs> so they're just going to watch it like as if it were made today. And then, you know, that's why you get some weird reactions to movies like that. <laughs> we'll say th- there is this, even though the movie is a comedy, this is a marvelously eerie sequence. I love oh, yeah. the shot of the child inside of the house and then him lumbering toward it with the fog hugging the ground, the light in the sky, you know, the moonlight like this. And then just beating down the door. This is pure horror movie. Like it's not even trying to be comedic at this point. Like it's genuinely kind of chilling and I love it. It calls back to the universal Frankenstein too, with the little girl, you know, yeah, I mean, Boris Karloff's yeah. Frankenstein tosses the little girl in the water to see if she can float. I feel like David Prowse's Frankenstein's monster is the kind of guy who picks her up by her ankles and beats her against a tree like Jason Voorhees with somebody in a sleeping bag. You know, he's, he's Again, pure, like... perfect movie. Thank you. Yes. Truth. Yeah, can I... I don't think I've ever talked about this here before. If I have, it's, I was probably drunk, so it doesn't count, but... I mean, aren't we all drunk right now, or am I the only one who's, like, a bottle of wine in? I'm a teetotaler. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, like four beers deep, so I'm feeling it. Okay, I'm so we're like on the same page. We're on the same page, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, no, we, for the longest time, I was not a Friday the 13th fan. I liked Six. I liked Jason X because I thought it was a lot of fun. Love Freddy versus Jason because I think it's a blast. And... This is so fun. Thank you. Yes, such a blast. Amazing. When Scream Factory put out that box set, I finally sat down over the course of a couple of days and said, okay, I'm going to try this one more time and see how it goes. And there was something about it. Those movies finally clicked for me, and I adore that franchise now. It was it was the new transfers. It was the new transfers. Yeah, Paul. Honestly, it (laughs) might listening to let the bodies hit the floor just on a loop. Yes, (laughs) a hundred percent. I I remember for me, and I was just like, "Is that really what they're scoring?" Okay, 
Okay. Watching watching Friday the 13th Part 3 in true 3D for the first time was like a revelatory life-changing experience for me. That's That that changed everything. Did you have <laughs> like the set. blue and red glasses? No, I have a I have a 3D TV. One of the oh, ones that, like no. before they stopped making them. <laughs> like I bought I bought one of those TVs with like the actual like battery powered glasses. Wow. Uh, because I'm a crazy person. Oh, you so fancy. I'm no, I'm just insane. <laughs> I'm just like completely certifiably insane. And uh my brother is the only person who likes to watch those movies with me, but so we watched it like in true 3D and it was amazing. It was it was amazing. So that that very much changed. I, I've I've loved Friday the 13th for a long time though. That that's one that um, I've always really liked. I, I think Friday the 13th is great because it's I don't know. There's a bit of variety to it. it, it there's less at stake. It feels like franchise wise. Like there is content. One through four has like a direct continuity. Everything after that sort of yeah, veers off in its own direction and that's perfectly fine but i think that makes it sort of fun because you never know what you're going to get it's like oh sometimes you get a carry movie sometimes you get an outer space movie you know sometimes you get a weird body swapping movie it's just you, you get all kinds of weird experiments that you don't normally see in uh, other horror franchises so yeah I, I have a lot of fun with friday i'm never mad about them doing an in space horror movie no they no, could do more space is great. like Hellraiser in space. Awesome. Give me like, give me more of that. Saw. What? What's a franchise? Oh, I was just going to say, what's a franchise that needs to go to space that has not gone to space yet? So Saw would be a great answer. <laughs> Somehow, some way, an entire space station would be one big trap to be solved. You know, they could do it. Sure. The yeah, trap so. is getting back to Earth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, I did. Okay. So going back to the movie here for a second, because it is wrapping up because this is as much as I like the movie, we got to be honest here. It is anticlimactic as all hell. Um, yeah, I I do love the final moments. I I adore that. But getting there is kind of like, is this, is this it? Is this all we're, this, okay, we're done. That's it. Okay. All right. right I guess. So now the movie, maybe <laughs> we're out of here. Okay. All right. The original. I gotta say, I kind of like this idea too. I to to be certain, the ending that Sangster scripted. I think the final minute, rather, with the little girl and what happens, is perfectly suited to it. But apparently, the original ending from the Jeremy Burnham outline uh, that kind of originated this project. At the end, the monster escaped from the castle and wreaked havoc in a nearby village before uh, returning to sort of menace Elizabeth. And then she set fire to it with a torch and killed it as a result. And the ending had, uh, quote, a completely mad Baron Frankenstein getting down on hands and knees and fawning over his dead baby. That's interesting. It would have been out of character. For him. Well, I think for Burnham's outline over something, considering he's had like no emotion this whole movie. Right. Yeah. I I, I think for the because uh, you know Burnham mm-hmm. his outline initially was just a riff on Curse of Frankenstein before the humor was added. So maybe for his version of it, he was still imagining a Peter Cushing type, uh, but and not what we ultimately wound up getting with uh, you know Sangster and Ralph Bates's version of the character, but. You know, it's it's interesting, I think, but yeah, it's I much prefer the final moments here where the little girl is just kind of like, I'm just going to touch everything and see what happens. Well, it, it, child would do. 
It yeah. has that chaotic randomness to it that feels in line with sort of the approach this movie takes to the material. You know, the look on his face is just kind of like, I mean, he doesn't even have to say it. The look on his eyes, the way he slumps, you can just tell he's like, fuck. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's it's sort of the the cosmic uh, way that that the universe resets itself. You know, like he's being punished on a certain level. Um, it's just not in the traditional sense. <laughs> like he did manage to outsmart the authorities, but he didn't get his way either. So in that sense, he failed. Yeah. And here we come to the end and the great reveal, which in its own way, I think is slyly hilarious. I love the two boots just bobbing to the top of the liquid. Just boop, boop. They should have added little boop sounds. Yeah, they should have. I think that would have. Yeah, exactly. Like, plink. You know. But also, I call mad bullshit. Shouldn't those shoes have dissolved? I don't know, like, if they're... Yeah, they probably should have. <laughs> I think that's fair. Like, I, I, I feel they? like... What is the continuity in this? I think that's something that, like... That feels like something that Walter White would talk about in Breaking Bad. You know, right. like... No, the acid will the eat through. Because the tub doesn't work. Exactly. <laughs> That's still one of the great reveals when Jesse is just like, oh, to hell with it. I'm putting it in the tub. And then two minutes oh, later, yeah. the tub falls oh, through two different Oh, tubs. man. Breaking Bad. What a perfect show. <laughs> Again, another, another story that is led by a completely immoral bastard who nevertheless is completely charismatic. And as a result, we follow him to the very end. Um, he started off having morals like he just wanted money for cancer treatments because wow you guys in the states what are you doing oh my god that's yeah. a great question uh and i don't know what the answer is <laughs> come to canada and get a visa here have cancer don't go bankrupt that's a that's a very good point yeah and you're I right walter white doesn't start as an immoral or amoral character. He no, he begins as a system turns him into one. Right. Although although can I can I say one thing against that though and tell me if you both think that I'm wrong about this. I I feel like we want to believe that Walter is a good man who is twisted by circumstance throughout the course of it, but the constant refrain that he has throughout the entire series is I'm doing this for my family. I did this for my family. This was all for my family. And then the final revelation that he makes to uh, Skyler and really to himself and the way the audience is. Yeah. And I think it's beautiful him. is when he yeah. says, I did it for myself. And if you go back and watch the beginning of the series and see where he was and see how deeply miserable he was by the banality of the life that he had sort of painted himself. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I just, you know, I, but, it, but he wouldn't have. I, the, the question though is like, just because something's sort of like uh, uh, asleep inside of him, like a side of himself that is there, but he's not acting on it. Um, the thing that brings it out is the system that won't support him. Does that mean that he was a bad person before when he wasn't acting on those sort of desires? I don't think it does. I, w I would turn that question around on you and say, because I think, and not in a... Uh, uh, mean-spirited way I, I just think it's fun to talk about because this is one of the big questions i think the series poses if that was always in him 
and it just took one bad circumstance, admittedly a major one, a but one pr- bad a pretty bad circumstance. It's, admittedly, admittedly, yeah. <laughs> like, like, like he got a flat tire. Took place in Canada, where he didn't have to spend. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. Like he wouldn't have done it had he had the right support, and he but probably would have been fine. Would he have died a good man then? Or mm-hmm. is the series saying that everybody has this in them? Because I don't think that's true. Because I think Walter, especially when they start diving into his backstory, I think that monster was always in there. Oh, and I well, think, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I agree, but I don't think ever, that makes him bad. I think a lot of people are probably like that, like have have something in them that would make them break or run towards something more ambitious that they that they allow to sort of stay at bay or sleep, you know? I, yeah, I don't know that I could say that everybody is just... Being a different human. Oh, I'm sorry, Allie, what was that? I feel like we're all genuinely one, like, either really good or really bad situation away from being a completely different person than where we are now. Yeah. I can either way. I mean, if he could have afforded to have all that medical care, would he have still been... You know, the Walter White that we came to know throughout the series? Right. I, I No, he, uh, no, that's the thing. He wouldn't have become Heisenberg. He wouldn't have killed all those people. But the thing, to me, like, the, the fascinating thing about the character is is that he still had it in him. And so if he hadn't been th- put through those paces, and if he hadn't done all the horrible things that he did, and if he had gotten great health care, and if he had gotten healed or at least been allowed to die with, you know, some measure of dignity and hadn't been wiped out with medical bills, you know, and, and pending like, yeah, all the horrible shit that he would have had to go through here in the States, you know, when it comes to our horrible fucking, uh, uh, you know, uh, medical system. Yeah, sure. But like, does that mean that he would have died clean and a good person then? Because I don't know that I completely buy into the, you know, it goes back to like, uh, one of my favorite fucking comic books ever, but Batman, the killing joke, you know, the Joker insists that it just takes one bad day for anybody to crack. And I love the point of the story. Like on our best, Days, we can be the best version of ourselves, but what if that catastrophic thing happened? Do we just immediately go into darkness? Right. Yeah. And and I, what and and that's the thing is like anybody, you know, any any good person, anyone that's made a life for themselves that they're they're happy inside of, you know, has something to lose. Yeah. And if they lose that thing. Or if they feel like that thing is going to be lost, that can push them to a place that will maybe allow them to tap into another side of themselves that they've never allowed to be realized because they know that's not the right thing to pursue or the right thing to do. We know, you know, anyone with morals knows right and wrong. And not all of why we do what we do exists because specifically because of that right-wrong spectrum. Some of it is... Well, we know that that's uncouth and that won't amount to a sustainable life for ourselves. But like we yeah. might break those rules where the circumstances shifted. And but that's think... why we have the Purge movies. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> We're all just headed towards the Purge. But don't which, think... which is another is... franchise that needs to go to space. Isn't there Purge something innately? <laughs> Purge space. I would watch the fuck out of. All right, I would watch that. That would get all the money. <laughs> Do 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 wonder though though with Breaking Bad though and I uh, and again I'm beating the horse to that here I apologize but I to me like what was brilliant about the series is that you have a character who to me I think he was always innately that and so 
the circumstances revealed who he was admittedly is most extreme, but much as with the killing joke, I think breaking bad is kind of the same in the sense that it's saying that it, it, it isn't just a matter of circumstance. There has to be something more there, you know? So I don't, I don't necessarily buy into the idea that Walter White would have died a good man. Simply, I don't think he would have become a criminal kingpin and killed a bunch of people had it not been for the circumstances he was presented with. But there still, on a certain level, would have been something within him that was a little dark, a little mean, a little jealous, a little insecure to an extent that he would be willing to do, you know, that he'd stab somebody in the back or that he would do, you know, dodgy, amoral things just to... uh you know, to feel, I don't know, even more like a man, because it seems like that's definitely what he's trying to prove to himself throughout the course of the series. You know, he's a guy who's might very well have been played by Woody Allen, you know, in the first episode of the series, you know, and then uh, it seems like the bulk of the rest of the series is all about him trying to prove himself in any number of ways and kind of overcome what he thinks are his failings. I, so, you know, I, I, I don't think everybody's on the same playing field in that regard. Um, you know, one horrible day for one person isn't going to turn them into a monster. Whereas with some people it might, um, or I might be completely wrong about that. Then again, maybe it doesn't even take a bad day. Maybe, you know, you just wake up one day and you decide that you want your father's money and you, uh, you rig his hunting rifle and then you sleep with his, well, um, his maid. I mean, we've all been there. <laughs> who hasn't done, Yeah. Who hasn't, who done, hasn't that? done that? I mean, you know, the nineties were crazy. I mean, <laughs> I was a baby in the nineties, but yeah. Okay. Like thank you. I was playing Tetris on Game Boy mostly. Wow. I was <laughs> in the ages of like one in ten in the nineties. I was um I was seeing Scream on the big screen with a rowdy audience for the first time on opening night. So um Jealous. At least I got that's, that. That's pretty cool. At least I got that. Throwing my hands up that, dropping the mic. I'm not holding a mic, but I'm gonna pick it up and drop it. Um <laughs> All right. Somehow, some way with this podcast, we managed to digress away from the main subject at hand. We've never done that before, ever. I'm shocked. First time ever. Uh, Allie, we're not saying it's your fault, but, um, you know. But we're not not saying it's my fault. Well, it's basically basically Matt here. So, you know. uh, I I do this passive-aggressive thing, too, where I'm like, well, we don't ever talk about how you never helped out, you know? (laughs) (laughs) It's not a conversation that we have often. <laughs> I'm I'm just happy we talked about Dracula Dead and loving it. I think that's the win. Tonight. And you know what? That could be a whole episode. Like I worship that movie. I think I think we need to break the Hammer Pub tradition and just cover that movie at some point and invite Allie on to do it. Just yes. do like parodies of Hammer films and then Oh, we should do that. You know what? Like okay. a parody Let's... episode. That Let, would be yeah, great. and let's run through a handful of them. We can do Young Frankenstein. We can do Dracula Dead and Loving It. I'm going to go ahead and throw this out there. You know what recent movie I was most reminded of while watching Horror Frankenstein again on this rewatch? What? Victor Frankenstein. James McAvoy is totally playing <gasps> Ralph Bates' version of that mm. character. And I never that considered that Yeah. Yeah, which, uh, you know, the Max Landis of it all aside, I think is actually a really fun movie. Yeah. 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 I, the one I like this idea. The one I, I think I think we should do that. Like I maybe that idea. I think it'd be great because if you're going to talk about the whole Hammer scope, it did influence a lot of other people to create those movies. 
Maybe that's maybe when we're done with the movies, Jinx, that's what we should do is maybe a series of episodes that before, cover like yes, before like Tygon Tavern and things and Amicus Anonymous. Yeah, you like some horror parodies. All right, so so Allie officially is it is we're asking will will you join us for the the Hammer parody episode? Yes. Okay, wonderful. I'm this here. Is good. So wrapping full kit cameras and make people watch us. Okay, we'll do we'll do video. That'll be our Put first. <laughs> I will I will commit to doing video. I will Paul, get you can't just commit get to video up. Paul. I'll you I'll do my I'll make sure up. my beard is in good condition and not kind of crazy. Oh no, keep it crazy. I'll keep it crazy. I'll don't, take it back. Allie, no, Allie, no, you don't know what you're asking. <laughs> I've seen pictures of him. The, it's like the beard. It. You can only see his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Stories of my beard are, have been greatly exaggerated. Is all I'm saying. Okay, but. not. I wouldn't say oh, exaggerated. Yes, I'm not certain. I'm willing to commit to greatly. Okay. Well, I'll clean my room. How about that? <laughs> More than what I'm gonna do. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Now wrapping this all up, we talked about Dracula Dead and Loving It. You know what? I'm also happy that we talked Dracula 2000. Allie definitely makes certain to watch the sequels, mm. but. Mm-hmm. And going ahead and wrapping everything up, let's go ahead and talk for a couple of minutes about how we feel about this movie overall. Yay, nay, thumbs up, thumbs down, somewhere in the middle. I feel like I already know, but just to provide our final thoughts, Allie, go Horror Frankenstein. What do you think? Oh, my God. Yay. Like, two thumbs up. Everyone should see it. It's definitely, like, it was before its time in the 70s, and I feel like right now if it it did get a re-release, right? Oh, I don't know, actually. Did it? Well, if it hasn't, it should get one because I feel like it's definitely a cult classic that people definitely want to see. And I speak for everybody when I say that. I agree. I agree. I'm not going to argue. Agreed. <laughs> Paul, how about you? Horror Frankenstein. <clears throat> well, yeah, I like it. I think I think it's a really fun movie. Um, I I think it's a, a great sort of. I like that it stands apart. You know, I like that it's different than what Peter Cushing gave us. I think it makes the franchise more interesting. You know, I always love outlier movies and franchises. You know, I I brought up Halloween 3, Season of the Witch earlier. I'm a big fan of that movie because it's just, it's a different thing. And yet it's a part of that collection. Um, This movie sort of provides that for the Frankenstein series, while at the same time, acting as a commentary on sort of the most iconic entry in that franchise, which is curse. Um, and bringing, yeah, like some of the original creators back to sort of provide a, a more modernized take on it. Um, infusing comedy that would be incredibly influential across the genre. Like, like we talked about. Um, yeah. I, I think mostly everyone does a really good job. I think there's a few, like we talked about actors that don't necessarily fully get the joke. Um, and I think that sort of drags it down at times. Um, but uh, on the whole, I think the movie works really well and I, I really like it. Good deal. Yeah. I, I love it. I, I, I really do. I, I, I just think that it's supreme entertainment. I really do. I love that it's kind of mostly like, especially when it comes to Bates and Kate Amara, I think it's beautifully performed. I love, I love it's acidic humor. I love that it strides the line between being clever and crass somehow. I love that it's humor is mostly 
sly, even though the movie can be sort of body and silly at times. And it all just works like gangbusters to me. Um, mm -hmm. I, I've long said on this podcast that the Frankenstein cycle is my favorite. And I will not, you know, I, I, I have to include that movie in the cycle because I think it's... It's just marvelous. Yeah, I, I I agree with you, Paul. It is surely different, but I'm so glad that it exists. And I'm I'm glad that they took this one big swing with the franchise before they eventually and it's weird to call it safe, but Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell is definitely much more of a piece with the rest of the franchise, even aside from the fact that they brought Cushing back. You know, it's kind of back to basics with that movie. Before they got there, I'm glad that we got this one weird as hell darkly comic you know horror comedy i i love that it exists and i i adore it so much and i wish it would get reappraised by sort of fans at large or even you know just visited by people who have maybe heard bad things about it over the years and didn't give it a shot i i think it's worth checking out so listeners out there if for whatever reason you and i know that the bulk of you probably aren't listening to these as audio commentaries you're probably just listening to them as straight podcasts and that's fine but if you've never watched horror frankenstein before one sorry for all the spoilers but two if we haven't convinced you by now you know what just take that risk watch it and let us know what you thought of it please and that's all i have to say about it mm. here here also, it's great. It's a joy, this movie. So. Oh, yeah. It's wonderful. And Scream Factory's release is very good. Yes, it is. Loads of bonus features and a great transfer. And, you know, again, Scream Factory, leaving no stone unturned. They also include the 1.66 version of it, that weird aspect ratio with the chopped off sides. And you know what? Hey, why not? I will say one thing, though. Did they? I have not completely gone through this disc entirely. Paul, I know that you reviewed it at one point. Can you tell me, mm. is there any version of this movie included on this disc that includes the sole middle finger version of the severed arm flipping off the camera? Yeah, uh, where can we find that? No, no, because these these are based on the trans the UK transfer. Um, that it's. It comes from the original master, and that shot was inserted to the U.S. release. So what you're saying is, is that I need to hang on to my old Anchor Bay DVD. Yeah, they yeah. Don't, they don't have like a like a master of that shot, so they they have like a SD version of it, <clears throat> and they could they could put that in, but they didn't. Well, <laughs> it would look bad, I guess. I don't know. Damn it. Uh, but yeah. All right. Somehow, someway, we have gotten to the end of this podcast. Allie, thank you so much for being on. We had an absolute blast chatting with you. Oh, yeah. We would love to have you back on at some point, not just for the parody episode in the future or whatever, but if you want to come back anytime soon, please, you're absolutely welcome to. Oh, my God. If you, I don't know if you have done Vampire Circus yet, but if you haven't. No, we haven't, and I absolutely adore that movie. Like, I would love to get it on that episode because that's, like... Just knowing who I'm dating, like, I have seen that movie so many times now, and I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> I can talk with this forever. That is fantastic. Yes, absolutely. If you want to do Vampire Circus, it it's actually probably coming up pretty soon. So, uh, Yeah, that's probably really soon. The closer uh, we get to it, I'll make well, certain to reach out. I have no life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just well, waiting around for people to put me on their podcast. That, that episode is officially yours. <laughs> 
All right. Now, I'll tell you what, before we uh, before we close out this episode, Allie, can you tell listeners out there where they can find you at online and uh, what they can keep an eye out for from you in the future? Yes. So online across all the platforms and by all the platforms, I mean, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. It is at the Allie Chapel, T-H-E-A-L-I-C-H-A-P-P-E-L-L. I don't remember what the rest was, but there <laughs> for sure. I always have updates. <laughs> and there's movies that I'm in that are coming out this summer. So be on the lookout for those. Very cool. Now, okay, so yes, uh, can you tell us roughly when to expect your first next first next release? Is that proper? You know, it doesn't matter. Yeah. We all know what I'm talking about here. So, I think. Yeah, I I think there. Okay, so I think the new full moon one comes out in July. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's when it comes out. And then I think all the other ones come out in August and September. And I feel the, like you told me dates, and I'm just like, tra-la-la-la-la, I'm going to be on the I'm going to look at something else over here. You just sent me a note, like. Okay, so, Allie, I'm sorry if I seemed a little bit distracted while asking that question, because I was actually looking through Hammer's filmography, and I will let you know that Vampire Circus is actually two movies from now. We're doing The Vampire Lovers next week, and Vampire, Vampire Circus the weekend, av- or rather, the week after. So, if you are free two Mondays from now, we can chat Vampire Circus. A thousand percent I'm free. Awesome. <laughs> Sweet. All right. I feel like you guys think I was joking when I was like, I don't have a life. We're still in no, you're like, good. quarantine in Toronto. Like, things have opened up a little bit, but, like, there's not a lot going on. I'm, um, I mean, <laughs> it sounds like you all are doing it smart up there. Meanwhile, Paul and I are in the U.S., and, uh, and yeah. we're still... Like I said, I'm in Florida. Like, you know, we, we have designated people who would just cough on you at random down here. So uh, they they want to spread it. It's terrible. Um, yeah. I mean, like, maybe post-pandemic I'll have someone cough on me, but for other reasons? <laughs> <laughs> this is another Love podcast it. entirely. That's another um, podcast. That's the Alley Fetish podcast. That's the After Dark Hammer Pub. <laughs> That, oh, we God. record that. We record that after this one. <laughs> we do. We do for a yeah. fact. And please don't feel. Uh, you know, you said you you don't have much of a life. Keep in mind that Paul and I do this weekly. So just throwing that out there. It's uh, it's we're always here. <laughs> <laughs> Every Monday. <laughs> I'm always happy. It's almost one a.m. and I'm like, let's keep going. Let's keep this going yeah. until four. <laughs> Again, the only plans I have tomorrow are driving my friends to get groceries, and they have to wait on me. So there you go, love it. <laughs> just shoot them a text early in the morning and be like, "Guess what? It's Wednesday now." And then just don't respond. Yeah, guess yeah. what? It's not happening. Go get your own groceries. <laughs> You're like I've I've been recording a podcast for 16 hours, and we're still going. <laughs> we're covering every puppet master. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Paul? Yeah. As always, man, please let folks out there know where they can uh, find you at online yes. and when you're finally going to jump on Instagram. Oh, I don't know, man. Uh, Instagram, someday. <laughs> someday I'll post stuff there. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the always modest handle of at PaulIsGreat2000. Uh, something I made as a joke many years ago, not expecting to be stuck with it for life. And yet here we are. Uh, 
And uh, yeah, you can you can look for me to be tweeting about horror movies and posting my articles and all that fun stuff. Rock on. Paul, as always, thanks so much for co-hosting. Allie, thank you so much again for being a guest. We really appreciate it. And we can't wait to see you again very soon for Vampire Circus. Ooh, yes, I'm so excited to do Vampire Circus. <laughs> all right and thanks to all you listeners out there as always please make certain to like subscribe share use the comment section below scream at us on facebook and twitter that's at screamatics and i'm at jinx 1981 and until next time folks thanks so much and have a great weekend